soul an undiscovered creature climbing on the mountainside. Welcome everyone to All About All Elite for the week of April 27th, 2019. While you may have been busy this week being a part of one of WWE's focus groups where they were A, asking fans why their ratings and attendance continues to drop, and B, and I'm being serious here, in the face of competition not wanting to be seen as if they don't care about their fan base opinion, we were busy watching pro wrestling companies that don't need competition to care about the fan base. Ladies and gentlemen, April 27th is also the night where the NWA returns to North Carolina for the Crockett Cup for Marty versus Nick. Ms. Fan is ordered. Mystic has ordered. We are watching, and next week we will bring you anything between a summary of our experiences and two hours, depending on how NWA delivers. But that is next week. Do not think that doesn't mean we have a we don't have a hell of a show for you this week. We will talk Tony Khan. We will talk CM Punk. We will talk Dean Ambrose. We will talk Dustin Rhodes, Cody Rhodes. We have a convince me for the ages and a convince me junior. And, of course, on the back end, we have MLW Fusion, the Legacy Series. Let's do this thing, ladies and gentlemen. I am the L.O.P. Mystic, a.k.a. your one-man hype band. And I am joined by my friend and co-host, by God, my learned colleague, Mr. Mizfan, the brain. Greetings, Ms. Fan fans. Welcome indeed to another episode of All About All Elite. The last two episodes, we've maxed out our time without getting everything we wanted to talk about, and it could happen again today, so let's get right to it, my friend. Absolutely. We are live in live moments, and things keep happening. The post-WrestleMania season has been good to us, so let's get going. We're going to start by commenting on some Tony Khan comments. Just some lines that might excite us, some lines that might worry us, because we don't get to hear this very often. And if you follow our show and you ever look back in time, maybe when AEW has a TV deal, you're going to see that we, we, we had a lot of puzzle pieces. We didn't know what they meant, where they go, but we're steady trying to find out where they go on the board. And that's what we'll do right now. Anything that excites you from Tony Khan, Ms. Van? Um, one thing that excites me is he said he's going to keep himself off of TV, and that makes me very happy, (laughs) because A, people with too much power on TV uh, is often a pain in the butt, Uh, even if those people are talented, I have no idea what Tony Khan's talent level is, and B, because we've had enough authority figures in the last 20, 25 years to, uh, well, to sink the industry, we'll say, so we can just avoid that trend entirely, I'll be happy. I agree. 100%. 100%. Hopefully he can uh, stand down the temptations that will, will inevitably, inevitably come, who, that it seem to come to anyone with any power in pro wrestling to get up there and, and project that. Absolutely. I also really like that uh, the schedule is supposed to be less grueling for the wrestlers. Um, they didn't talk about this specifically, but uh, I hope they remain open to their wrestlers working uh, other places. Uh, as well, maybe not someone big enough to be a direct competitor, but I, I really think if you have the desire and the hustle to go out and wrestle some additional indie dates, you yeah. should always have that option. So I, I hope 
that that is a corollary, kind of an unspoken one here, considering how closely aligned a lot of these people have been with uh, independent companies in the past. I agree. I agree. And again, it's just like a temptation for an owner or a guy with powers to get on TV. Temptation for a wrestling company is to work together until you're big enough not to. So, you know, a lot of temptations. It's a big temptation because there was just a a drama uh, that I guess unfolded over Twitter recently. An independent promoter in Chicago refuse like telling talent well you can't you can't work other indies mm. in my area because then i won't book you and you know they're, they're a pretty good sized indies so they have a little bit of clout but it, it just seems wrong to try to dictate to talent on any level especially you know if you're not uh secure if you're not that large in and of yourself so yeah i hope there's maximum freedom for the talent <laughs> yeah and that can also backfire on you if you're not careful because those talents if they can't find a, a, a stronger deal then they have to be subservient. But if they do, you know, people are just going to stop working with you and you're going to be on the other side of that kind of ugliness. Exactly. So be careful. Uh, common sense, but what a day in 2019 that it has to be said. My favorite section possibly was, I want wins and losses to matter at the end of the day. Mm. That's why That's why you're having a match. There's going to be a winner and a loser and it matters. It should matter to your standing in the company. And it should matter to your standing in your chase for the championship, which at the end of the day is what everyone is trying to obtain. Yep, I like that a lot. I didn't highlight it immediately because, once again, it's uh, hooked up directly to this, oh, we're going to have a really sporting product. Yeah. I still don't know how to put that all together in my mind with some of the things that we have seen. But that actually ties into... Uh, Something that did excite me maybe the most in the whole thing when he said, uh, what you see in our social media is not necessarily what you will see in our TV product. And I, good, if it's not just going to be uh, being the elite, you know, with some matches thrown in, then that would actually be great for me because that's that's not really my favorite format. I knew you would like that. And I also <laughs> think that, you know, he's, he's given some reality to his fan base that, you know, sorry, we do want like TV ads. And so... You know, the TV might look a little bit different. And I, I like that the videos might stay as supplemental and they might also have a different feel mm-hmm. because then you give them those fans what they want, but you also have this bigger product on a stage that fitting for what it's on. Right, yeah, absolutely. What was the video we saw maybe just last week where, um, uh, yeah, it was the MJF, Darby Allen, Sammy Guevara video. Yeah, give me videos like that, you know, interspersed through things and that. That I'm down with, but maybe not, you know, just the Young Bucks and their buddies fucking around for, like, <laughs> 20 minutes. That's not, I don't need that necessarily. Okay, so for me, my worry that of mine is that this is a product that is for people who want fast-paced action. <laughs> uh, I should have known that that would uh, uh, disturb you, but... Um, uh, I don't know. You've liked some of the fast-paced action that we've seen. I think as long as it's not something uh, exclusive. And from the talent they've signed, I don't think there's really any chance that it will be. They've signed quite a few people who aren't just out there, you know, doing flips for the sake of flips. Um, it's interesting because that statement, I think, is in the same sentence as the sports-based. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the sports-based thing, I'm starting to strongly feel that it means nothing because it's right. such a broad idea sports based can mean like competitive based or athletic based or 
just simply like the wins and losses will matter and then everything else will just do our own thing. You know, how we get to those wins and losses could look like anything. So, um, yeah, the high flying thing was an interesting answer because the question was like, are you going to be edgy like ECW? Yeah. And he was like, well, we'll be TV friendly, but also high flying. And I'm like, that's not really like, <laughs> uh, you know, w- when you talk about ECW, people are not thinking like, oh, are you going to be high flying? Uh, you know, like, so it seemed like it was almost not related. And I don't know, maybe you just didn't want to just say, no, we're not going to be ECW or something. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know how much they can say, you know, they're not going to tell right. us. Here's everything our product's going to be. <laughs> and people seem to want that. I do not. You know, don't tell me, show me. So right. no mysteries really solved from this. It's kind of like uh, some of Cody's comments where take them any way you want and you still have no idea at the end of the day what it really means. Right, right. So uh, one thing that I will say, anything else on Tony Khan? Um. Not really, except, yeah, he talks a little about CM Punk. We're going to talk about that in a minute, but uh, what else you got? Well, I I was going to transition to that. All right, transition away, my friend. So this is what's in the news, so we're going to give you a little bit. Um, Ms. Van and I are about to play a dangerous game. (laughs) If you had to choose Dean Ambrose or CM Punk, who would you want and why? I don't know where to start with this. I I I don't necessarily have a concrete answer. I have some conversation. Um, I do want to, I'll go ahead and do this because we talk about the CF, which is, um, the column, columns forum for Lords of Pain, mm-hmm. lots of great columns, lots of great conversation. Recently, one of the writers, Benjamin Button, wrote an article about wanting to see, uh, my man, Marty Skrull be the kind of villain that we need and that Dean Ambrose, if he can't like update his shit, maybe he doesn't need to be in the company. So I'm going to read you a little bit. Of Benjamin Button. I'm going to read you a little bit of Sir Sam, who we've talked about and talked to. His favorite wrestler is Dean Ambrose. Keep that in mind. So I love this ending to Benjamin Button's article. He says, Marty is push button ready to be the villain that the god of alternative wrestling has called. As for Ambrose, I say send him back to the drawing board, give him vignettes, and help him find who he is in this new environment. And if he can't find that, I'm satisfied with my villain so that is how benjamin button ends his article sir sam uh posted today he says i do think that the most compelling position for ambrose is as a a bit of a broken down man who is at the end of his tether a man ground up after years of being in the machine it gives him an immediate story and motive for acting in an antagonistic way and plays off his real life story that everyone already knows about. However, that position is somewhat already taken by Jericho, assuming they continue Jericho's character over from New Japan. I honestly don't think Ambrose will be showing up in AEW. His best friends and wife are all in WWE. And if the rumor has it, he has a lucrative offer on the table if he wants it. If he truly is burnt out and over-wrestling, then even if he is my favorite character of all time, if he isn't motivated, I don't want to see him. So, some of the commentary in the CF. Let's talk to Ambrose. Uh, I want to say, first off, yes, thank you for shouting out that Benjamin Button column. Uh, maybe one of my favorites we've seen in a while. We've seen a lot of really good columns lately, and that's really awesome. That's LPForums.com if you want to come join that conversation. 
that yeah column was really a particular favorite. I like the dichotomy of uh, Benjamin Button, who I think uh, was a very big John Moxley fan at one point, yeah. um, but is really you know not not too interested in him now because he's very far afield from what he was. Uh, whether you like that or not is a different question. And then Sir Sam, yeah, who was really uh, a Dean Ambrose super fan. Uh, which is very cool as well. You know, I, I definitely, uh, I can see that perspective, even if I haven't necessarily shared it for the past few years. Um, we're talking about Dean Ambrose, yeah, because, of course, the WD said goodbye to him for, like, what seemed like the 20th time and mm. seemingly the final time <laughs> recently. Uh, and then, of course, on the other side, we have CM Punk, who, uh, if you've been following the rumors at all, supposedly showed up at a, an indie show in a disguise and uh, hit a GTS on somebody and maybe has been doing this before um, indicated like on that famous podcast he did that that's something that he would like to do come back and nobody would know if it was really him or not. Uh, but if he'll come back that far, then maybe he doesn't hate wrestling as much as we all thought. Maybe he could wind up somewhere where he might uh, be feeling passionate again. Basically the answer to this is whoever wants to be there, should be there, you know, if they actually want it, if they're hungry for it, I, I, I can see a good argument for taking either one. If they don't really want to be there, if they don't really care, if they just want to cash a paycheck, I probably wouldn't want to take either one. But put a gun to my head, both guys being equal, I would absolutely sign CM Punk in a heartbeat over Dean Ambrose. CM Punk has wrestled for more than five years, and... His name is still chanted, uh, you know, in arenas all over the place um, when something boring or obnoxious uh, is happening in the ring. And uh, I know that's annoying to a lot of people, and I get why, but CM Punk, yeah, he's a name that is still in everybody's mind. Um, Dean Ambrose, John Moxley, he can be very good under the right circumstances. But he's bringing a lot of baggage, and CM Punk, he would definitely bring his own baggage as well, but they're just on different levels, I think. I think people would tune in specifically uh, out of curiosity, if nothing else, to see CM Punk on a level that they just wouldn't for Dean Ambrose, um, who, you know, definitely has his supporters, but also has a lot of people who I think are very tired of him or not really interested in him anymore um either way whoever comes in just don't be spitting out any anti-wwe pipe bombs don't come in shooting come in to be a character to tell a story and then you will have my support um that all right that's all i have to say about that i like the analysis um i went a different route but maybe ended up in the same place um one thing i thought about is what would be the best thing or worst thing about having either guy to me, best um, best thing about having Dean Ambrose, if he is committed, if he is rejuvenated, if he could connect to, if not John Moxley, what John Moxley or the spirit of John Moxley would be now, and almost just, just you know, leapfrog the entirety of his WWE career. <laughs> you know, I would. That's what I would be happy with. But he has a stench on him as well. We can't pretend like he doesn't. Um, He's maybe the most disappointing man I've ever seen, personally, for me in the last 20 years. When I watched his podcast with Steve Austin, I was one of the most excited people in the world. And he, the answers he gave, I don't know why he gave them. I don't know what it was about. 
But I feel like Austin was disgusted, and I sure as fuck was disgusted. Austin seemed more excited about Dean Ambrose than Dean Ambrose did. <laughs> Dean Ambrose seemed like he was trying to play a role that never, that he just never was meant to play. I don't think he could ever be the guy, the company guy, WWE's guy. And it just doesn't look right trying to be it. So he turned me off big time. I have no problem with him in AEW. Like I said, if he can leapfrog his whole WWE career and get in touch with something that is AEW based. But I absolutely agree with you. He would not make the waves that CM Punk would make. Um, With CM Punk, best thing, worst thing. I'm going to go with worst thing first. Okay. If this man can only be happy if he's main eventing every show and or the world champion, then that's a problem. We can't have him in that role all the time. And if you can't care about the company, unless you're the guy, then it's never going to work out. And the, the the best thing is also a product of the worst thing. If you can not do those things, but still want to be the best in the world and carry that attitude of it mattering to be the best in the world, whether that means being champion, being main event guy, or simply having the best match on the show, that is an attitude that I would love to see rub off on AEW and the roster. And again, if you want exposure, I don't think anyone outside maybe The Rock and John Cena would bring you the exposure that CM Punk would. There's a reality that, to me, if CM Punk never wrestles in AEW, it's because CM Punk doesn't want to be in wrestling. But there's like this perfect scenario. I I wouldn't be surprised if he ever ended up there and he was actually going to be there the whole time. So I I wouldn't be shocked by that. Um, I would go CM Punk over Ambrose. But I will also say that I would be going high risk and high reward because I think CM Punk could bring more good to AEW and he could bring more damage to AEW. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to me, the worst thing about possibly bringing in Punk is, yeah, if you have a Punk who just will end up being dissatisfied again and will end up lashing out against the company, then the company, you know, they're going to look worse for it, you know, (laughs) because people... Uh, Some people, at least, will support Punk through just about anything, Um, and I get that to a certain extent, but also, you know, we know that he can be kind of a grumpy, uh, unpleasant person uh, if he wants to be, so not everything he wants could be reasonable, Um, but, yeah, I I don't know, it, it was never my impression that he thought he had to main event every show, he just wanted to get the main events that he thought that he had earned and was not getting. And I think any even tertiary look at history will show that, yeah, he was probably right about that. So I don't know. I would love to see a punk that, yeah, was motivated, that was working together with people towards uh, making something great. (sighs) That would really be ideal. Um, Two last thoughts about Dean Ambrose, then we can move on to the next thing if, uh, if there's not too much more to talk about. One, if you want to think about Pentagon Jr. in WWE, just look at Dean Ambrose, Mm. and I think you have a very good idea of what would happen if he did go there. Uh, And second thing is, Dean Ambrose, he's in a really weird predicament right now, and I definitely don't envy him the decision, because it seems like if he wants to stay in wrestling, and he may not, and that's his prerogative, I think everyone who stays in wrestling is kind of insane, and everyone would be smart to get out. I'm glad that they don't, but I would never begrudge someone leaving. 
if he wants to stay in wrestling, he now has to choose, do I go back to the place where I am unhappy, but I have the advantage of being with my friends, with my wife, being with an environment that's familiar, or do I go out and try to recapture something, which I maybe haven't had in several years, that I don't even know if is there anymore, with new people, unfamiliar people, far away from my friends, far away from my family, in opposition, actually, to my friends and my family, mm. on the risk that maybe I can be happy and fulfilled in my job again. I don't envy somebody that decision, because that, that, that's very difficult, I think. Yeah, then that's all up to him, you know. He has the luxury, he has the power right now. WWE will clearly take him back. AEW oh. would take him. So, um... If he really wanted it and wanted to reinvent his career, more power to him, I would never say, no, he doesn't get to do that. But there is a part of me that almost thinks he's made his WWE bed, and he's almost too far in it. And he has kind of, like, the bed has taken the shape of Dean Ambrose, and Dean Ambrose has taken the shape of the bed. Mm -hmm. You know, and, like, his family is there, his friends are there. You know, it's at some point that some guys, like, you go all the way back. They did, they did a fucking video... At the beginning of his career, that was very John Moxley meets Mick Foley. Like you're going to get an angle with him being more John Moxley against Foley. And then they just never did anything with it. And over time, probably the best and worst thing that ever happened to him was the Shield. Because I don't think Vince McMahon probably likes Ambrose that much. He's definitely the third wheel. And if you're not in the Shield, I don't think you build the legacy he's built in WWE. Which is a bad thing because he doesn't make money. He doesn't have a legacy. But it's also a good thing. And that maybe, you know, he's not in the predicament that he's in. So, yeah, if he wants to reinvent himself, more power to him. I don't think he deserves a main event. I think there's one thing I do agree with Benjamin Button is either reinvent yourself and earn it or don't even try. I was just thinking it would almost be more interesting to me if he went somewhere else first. And I just don't yeah. wear because I don't think he's a good fit for Japan. I'm sure some people would argue with me, but I don't see it. Um, and there's not really anywhere else in America they wouldn't feel like a big step down, you know? Yeah. Um, like, if he went to Ring of Honor, I don't think people would be like, why? You know, if he went to Impact, it would be the same. I don't know. Maybe he could do uh, a few episodes of MLW or something, just kind of test the waters. I, that, that could be cool, actually. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe the good news is if his friends and family are in WWE, he might not be tempted to shoot uh, if he comes to any company. <laughs> yeah. That, that would be a great motivation for him to just not do any stupid shoots. Uh, but everyone, nobody should be doing these stupid shoots. I won't, I'm going to refer back again to that wonderful Benjamin Button column. Uh, and one line in particular. <laughs> um, I just got to find it here a second. Uh, oh, man, where is it? Come here, buddy. All right. Oh, yeah, here it is. Okay, here's the line. This is wonderful. Uh, the line is, uh, and it's not a shoot. It's even better, a good old-fashioned storyline. Mm -hmm. Yes, tell me a story that isn't about how you hated your job in the, the past, you know, because I don't care about that. Give me a story. I, I want to I I hear the story. That's what I'm here for. Yes, yes. This is why I love conversation. This is where you learn dialogue is dynamic. And so the thought that just flashed in my head is, how did I enjoy Christian Cage so much when he went to TNA, but he did some of this? And I think part of it was, even though I've never liked this style, 
I think I was more forgiving of it in that there were a lot of us, myself included, who were very angry at WWE, not necessarily because of it, but it really has changed what pro wrestling can be. Like it's taken, it's made a lot of us like orphans or bastards who have no place to go. And there was something about knowing the impact was never going to compete. It, it kind of positioned itself as we are this junior alternative that does these kind of things. And so AEW, one thing Tony Khan was talking about, we're, we're not like WCW in that we're going to be like WCW. We're like WCW in that we're going to have a big stage, a big platform, and high production and be an alternative for fans who want it. And I think the minute you start doing this shit, you are saying out loud, we are inferior and we plan to always be inferior. Because if you're on the level, you don't have to play these games. And, and if you don't think this is true, WWE, who so seldom takes hits online, the Triple H bullshit at the Hall of Fame, even WWE fans were t- a little horrified because they were proud and that WWE doesn't even mention shows like AEW who they don't even exist. They're a t-shirt company. And so just the mentioning that was an L for WWE because it's not a good look. And I would like, Oh God, I all the attempt to everything that's been a blueprint in pro wrestling. And, and what we're talking about, the shoot style bullshit is one of them is a groove that it would be easy to fall into it sometime. And I would implore them. I would implore them not to do that. Same, same. I think the temptation will be there because I think there are a group of fans who would uh, come out very excited about that kind of thing, who would actually want that kind of thing. But it just seems so destructive in the long run. So, yeah, just if we could just get none of that, that would be absolutely great with me. (laughs) That was another great uh, Ben Button line um, as we continue to analyze is he admits right up front, Marty's girl may never get the holy shit moment that Dean Ambrose will get. Mm. But holy shit, according to Benjamin Button, is not always holy water. And it does two things. What we're saying, it makes the company look a certain type of way. But going back to your quote, it's also, this stands, what we are doing stands in place of good storytelling. So not only are we doing a negative thing, the negative thing stands in place of doing a positive thing. So to me, there's no way to do it. Um, A lot of this has me stirred up. It's weird. That Benjamin Button article, like, he, he came off, he reminded me a lot of my younger brother who actually introduced me to John Moxley. So I think Ben Button reminding me of the fact that I was introduced by my younger brother to John Moxley. And I think my younger brother, much like Ben Button, kind of soured over time. So it, it, it centered me in a past, a present, and these potential futures that we're both excited and worried about. Mm. Holy water may just be water, and holy shit, just shit. Another mm. great, great line. Just because you get the audience to chant holy shit doesn't mean you actually did a good thing. You know, you just did a, a thing that made them react a lot in that moment. But did you do a thing that will matter in 10 minutes, in 10 days, in 10 weeks, 10 months, 10 years? You know, I don't think you maybe necessarily did. So think long and hard. You can, People could say holy shit to a lot of things. 
You know, if you murdered someone in the ring, people yeah. probably would say, holy shit. And yet you shouldn't do that. So yeah. there, there are limits to, to maybe what you should think about doing. I like your illustration because if you murder someone in the ring, you might get a holy shit chant. But you also should feel guilty later on about what you did. <laughs> yes. And that is the biggest thing. You should feel guilty about these angles. And I think whether TNA ever explicitly does in other companies, it's not just them. There's a guilt that comes along with it. There's a bit of a shame when fans of your company is an alternative. Their their highest highs are simply bashing another company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let us remain far, far away from the days of the Voodoo Kin Mafia and all the absolutely atrocious things that were perpetrated over the years. <laughs> yeah, um, this is this is intriguing. I will talk about it again later. I talked about it last week, but there's a there's a feeling to me that the five star match is so easily defined and so aesthetically pleasing and so high in this many minutes. Then in order to have a five-star match that I would call a five-star match, it can't be a five-star match. <laughs> I think there's a lot of truth to that. It just goes back to what we talked about last week with the five-star quote-unquote thing being so subjective. What is five stars to you may not be five stars to the next person, and uh, it's a little silly to try to expect us to have all the same scale. Yeah, when I say that now because I, I'm comparing that in a, in a way to this holy shit moment. Like There are clear markers that you can hit to get a certain reaction. But because you can hit them to have a certain reaction, it also means that they are way, way predictable. Mm. Yeah. So if we're having a sports-centric show, I will talk about this throughout Convince Me. You got to make me think these folks are scrapping, that they are competing, that their lives are on the line, and that does not happen in predictable formats. Mm, absolutely i mean yeah one of my chief one of the chief reasons that yeah I, I don't really look at a lot of these kenny omega you know supposed classics as five-star matches is to me how can you have a five-star matches when i know the first 20 to 25 minutes is going to mean nothing because you're just killing time you know you're you're doing limb work you're doing technical wrestling you're doing this and that and it doesn't it has no effect on the finish because the finish is just going to be you know the big stretch a big bombs and finishers and kickouts and it you know it, it, it never varies because you've got like this formula and it's a formula that yeah at this point I know so well it's really not interesting to me at all so maybe part of that's on me just for becoming jaded to this kind of style uh, or maybe rejecting it just because everyone in the world came to tell me oh this is a five star match and I say you can't tell me what a five star match is. Um, so I don't know, you know, part of it is absolutely perspective. Actually, it's all perspective. So it's all about how you look at it. And I know part of, I think part of what you love is pro wrestling as an art form. Yeah, absolutely. I think for me, what I'm learning from this series is that in the conversation of what is the philosophy of pro wrestling and some, and people say, oh, it's an art form versus it is a sport or a competitive competition. I am leaning hard to the latter. And so one day I want to hit the criteria of what each means to me as far as what I am learning. Mm. But 
But one thing that I am starting that I this is just me personally in the world, one fan, and they do not need to cater to one fan vote. But if I say pro wrestling is a competition above all things, then it has to be a struggle throughout. And maybe you don't like chain wrestling at the beginning, but the re- at least the reason people can chain wrestle at the beginning is because they're both fresh. It makes no sense that 45 minutes into every match, and this is WWE, Omega, Japan, every bit, where that you can be hitting your finishers and exchanging them like chain wrestling. Mm. Like somebody has to have done more damage to the other person, and finishers can't cause a two and three quarters to a pin, but also be so um, non-consequential that the next thing can be an exchange with the other person hitting their finisher. That can, like, maybe that can happen once or twice, and then it's, oh my god, what are they pulling out? But that cannot be, like, a thing that happens all the time. Mm. So it depends on what your criteria is, and I really would like for us, as we go along, to really build some explicit criteria for what each of us you know, wants to see, just to see what that looks like or sounds like. <laughs> I'd be happy to try, and I just want to say, you know that I love chain wrestling. Think back to Tom Lawler versus Fred Yehi. Think yeah. of, like, the counter-wrestling, the mat work. So great. What I don't like is mat, um, chain wrestling where every it's just a tie at the end yeah. every time. Yeah, all, all your chain wrestling it was for nothing, so why did you even do it? You know, you just chain wrestled to kill 20 minutes, and now now you're going to break out the furniture, you're going to break out the finishers, you know, you're going to break out whatever the next step in the flow chart to the perfect five-star matches, you know, Dave Meltzer, Kenny Omega approved. So, um, so yeah, uh, wrestling is definitely big enough, I think, for every kind of yes. thing, but... Yeah, when it just becomes the same every time, it's just the, it's going to be less interesting to me. So, you know, make it different, make it meaningful. Um, I, I like the idea of, yeah, defining a little bit more what we're looking for. And that's going to be hard for me because a lot of what I look for is kind of a felt sense thing. And it's like it's something that has to be so different with context. But uh, we, we can define it, I think, as we go along. We'll figure something out. Yeah, and we're similar in that. I don't think either of us will want a hard definition in that we want individuals to do what individuals do, and that might be very different. Right. So I think maybe what I'm talking about is, and you might, this is the beautiful thing about this show, or it might be what infuriates you, but if you're listening, maybe it's the beautiful thing. Um, We we can also disagree with our own philosophies, but Mm. I think there's something important to say, if forced, this is my philosophy of pro wrestling. And that, that philosophy might include some diversity of styles, but a lot of people, I'm gonna find that disco inferno um, commentary because, like, what it's ridiculous. Everything he says, I don't agree with it. But he is putting forth this is not only philosophy, but this is what wrestling is in 2019 because we all know this and we all know that, and that means that we all can do this and do that. So maybe that's fine if we can to some people's claimed philosophies. Vince Russo, fucking idiot, definitely has a philosophy on wrestling. This man has a philosophy, so you know. There are consequences to everybody's philosophy, and we find it in real time. Like We may find out in a year that Tony Khan or whoever else is, has such a philosophy that was never going to be a guess what AEW is going to be. Mm. Who knows? We may find out that AEW had ten different philosophies, yeah. and they didn't end up mixing well together. So We may. That is a big fear yep. that people have, and, and it's not wrong to have it. So. 
Absolutely. All right. All right. It's time to talk about a certain match that uh that that has been coming for a long time. We didn't necessarily want this match to be the match that was going to be, but it is confirmed for Double or Nothing, and I think uh, I think there's a lot of interesting things to say about it. Uh, I've been particularly pleased with how much positive fan response there has been out there. So even if this is not the match I wanted, um, I'm really excited to talk about it actually, and kind of the good things that I have. Uh, come to think about it but uh that's enough preamble let's talk about the match itself absolutely the road to dustin or nothing (laughs) cody Rhodes, dustin Rhodes, and this tells you what time does because if i had spoke on this match last week i think i would have ranted and raved in certain areas that now i can't really remember what my gripe was oh wow okay So, so things do change over time and you know, I think some people want to so stand by their word that you can never catch them in a contradiction. I want to be contradicted and I want to have opinions that change over time. And I'm not I'm still going to have a few critiques, but let's do that at the end. I want to if we can do this and if you're OK with doing this, sure. let's look at the video first for what it, what it was presented for to us as and what the story tells and how we take that up if we can do that. Mm. Is that okay or no? Absolutely. Let's do it, my friend. Okay, so we have a long walk on the ranch, heavy plodding steps, an individual with his back turned towards us. When we finally see his face, he's covering it in paint. Ladies and gentlemen, Dustin Rhodes is AEW. Uh, He says, this is not a new beginning for me. I have done it all. My legacy is intact. I am Dustin Rhodes. Impressions, the visuals, the sound, the emphasis, the commentary. What, what, what? It, maybe when you first saw it, when you saw it now, what? How are you taking all this up? Um, well, it's funny. I, I uh, originally didn't have a chance to watch the full video, so I sort of uh, just paged ahead to see who it was, and I had okay. to come back later to watch the real thing. So yeah, reacting to who it was, which, as I mentioned, was really not my first choice, was one thing. Then going back to watch the video properly. Um, I, I think one thing that you could say, and I doubt there would be very much dispute about this, is the video is really made spectacularly. Mm. Um, like, yeah, the way it's shot, the way it's framed, uh, the presentation is really just top-notch, and uh, uh, that aspect of it, I, I can't critique really in the slightest. I think uh, the video really just looks excellent from start to finish. I agree. 295,000 views in five days, nice. which is very much on the high of what those videos get. Can't all be credited to Dustin Rose because you likely had a lot of people who also came in to see who the mystery man was. And, you know, the world we live in, half of them probably thought it was CM Punk and the other half probably thought Dean Ambrose. You know, he's still wrestling probably for WWE. <laughs> but, yeah, still a good number and a lot. Almost every comment you got is either, I this is what I want, I'm fully excited about this. Or I came to this video not excited about Dustin Rose being Dustin Rose, and then after the video, I'm excited. Mm. So it was really, I think, of almost 97%, I'd say, just positive reaction. Yeah, yeah, it's been overwhelmingly positive. People who don't even normally talk about AEW are, uh, are yeah. excited about this development. Um, and I think it's a little weird that Dustin was the guy who got them over, but if you come over, if you're interested... And then you see all this other good stuff happening, then, you know, so much the better for everyone involved. Yes. Dustin says, they chant, you still got it. I never lost it. 
He's combative in this. He's biting. He's defensive. Actually, my girlfriend has never watched any wrestling. I had her watch this segment to tell me what she thought. Um, and she, she, she was engaged by the storytelling, and she said, I do think that the guy is, like, too defensive and, like, making his claims too much, and maybe, like, they're not all true. So <laughs> I also think that. Um, yeah, yeah. I will get to that in a moment, because there's one argument I can't buy into. Maybe others can, but we'll get to it. Um, he says, if this is one last ride... Let's bill it as that. But it feels like Cody is trying to put me out to pasture. Okay. So here we're starting to get into maybe the conflict. These guys are 16 years apart. We'll get into a little bit. They were raised differently. Dustin, I think, had a harsh probably upbringing between maybe a Dusty Rhodes who wasn't there and a Dusty Rhodes who maybe wasn't the best father. Cody Rhodes had a very different experience. Um, then we come into that commentary. He says two things. I have just about done it all, and Cody is just now starting to feel his own shoes. And he says, just like me back in the day, I wanted to feel my dad's shoes, and I didn't know. I was too young to know I couldn't do it. So any commentary, any thoughts on any of that? Um, they, I think they're going to talk about it more in the video itself, so I don't want to jump at it too much, but yeah, a good chunk of the framing here is about Dusty, and that's not necessarily my favorite, and I hope they don't lean too heavily on his name to make this feud, even if it's an authentic part of their real relationship, it just feels weird to me to, like, play tug-of-war with your dad's yeah. name after he's passed on, you know, um... But I do really like the framing of Dustin talking about Cody, like, you, you're not even filling your own shoes yet. You're too young. You don't really know, you know, everything that you're going to know, everything that I know about the way the world works, the way the industry works. Um, that part of it I like a lot. And I think the more they lean on that aspect of it, the more I'm going to be into this story going forward. I am with you. I think... My biggest fear would be dragging Dusty too much into this. Right. I wasn't even completely comfortable when it happened in WCW and Dusty was well alive. You know, it's just, when you meet, like, I feel like we all feel bad when we have people we care about who have these kind of relationships with their families. Right, and, right. You know, Cody's the kind of guy that makes me an AEW fan, so, and being the son of Dusty House, I don't want to feel bad about all this. I don't want to think, oh, one's a shit son, or one... You know, or if someone else who wasn't Cody and Dustin were doing this, that Cody and Dustin might be offended by it. So, mm -hmm. you know, maybe just if you want to show you're grown up, you know, Dustin claims that he has now become everything that he needs to become. And Cody probably thinks the same thing about himself. Then you don't need to also like Dusty doesn't have to tell your story for you. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think they've already kind of used him as much as maybe they need to, and maybe, you know, I, I don't know. It's also weird for me to try to dictate what these guys do with their own dad's name. Like, it's their dad, so I'm not going to try to control what they say about him. Uh, all I can speak to is what I would like to see as a fan, and I think, that, you know, they've already really done enough um, with with his name in particular. I will say, I, I know your WWE watching is very minimal over the past uh, decade or more, but uh, were you around at all when it was... Cody and Goldust and, and Dusty himself kind of opposing the shield and like the authority, all that stuff was involved, like maybe 2013 around that time. Very loosely. Oh man. I almost 
we should maybe even watch that because uh, that that you know I, I'm I'm kind of critical of WWE in that time period, but that was one thing that I think that they nailed perfectly. Like I get chills thinking back mm. to some of that. So so maybe we'll add that for next week or some coming week on the show. Just some of that stuff because that really that's my enduring memory of the Dusty family is them being so unified, having this incredible moment together. Yes. So, yeah, now to turn around and be like, well, we kind of don't like each other. I'm like, mm, maybe that's true, but that's not like, uh, I don't know. Just like I have such a good feeling of them being on the same page that I almost don't want to go to this place where they're like, they don't like each other again. I felt like that kind of got put to bed a while ago. I almost won't. Like the only thing that can make me okay with this feud, it might be the thing, that, the last thing that you want on these shows, which is, I would almost want to see them just beat the shit out of each other, bloody the hell out of each other, and when that match ends, they've settled whatever score they had. Hey, context is king. I actually, it's right here on my notes. I want to see the veteran put Cody to the ultimate test, push him to his absolute limit, so he can prove himself, so he can be ready for those who come after. And what would satisfy me most is if a bloody Cody wins a hard-fought match and afterwards they embrace, and then somebody comes out to beat them up. <laughs> so I would love yeah. for all that stuff to happen. But, yeah, no, uh, all this, like, oh, let's be friends after the match, a lot of times it doesn't work for me. But context is king, and this is a time where it would work mm. absolutely perfectly, I think. Yes, I'm so glad you said that because in the world that I live in outside of pro wrestling – um, I occupy a space in a conversation in what nonfiction is and isn't. And there's a school of thought that I do not believe, especially when we're talking creative nonfiction. Creative nonfiction to me does not have to be every single fact is true. You don't go out, like wrestling, you don't go out and swerve people to make your story better, but our memories don't work that way. Above all things for me, what creative nonfiction has to be is the absolute emotional truth as I've experienced it. And I think truths have an emotional ring. And the emotional truth that I find in this feud is that Dustin does not hate Cody. And Cody probably does not hate Dustin. Dustin feels like he has been treated as the lesser. He feels like Cody has never, like he says, has never said thank you. He feels like Cody's never appreciated him. And I get the impression that he's probably super excited about AEW's success and a little bit, um, oh, yeah, another thing for Cody. So <laughs> I don't think this is Owen Hart being a young man that wants a career as world champion, and I must hate my brother, and I must go through my brother. Mm. It's not that. This, to me, is we just need to hit each other in the face a whole lot and let out, let out a frustration that maybe words can't get to. It's not easy for an older brother who is 16 years older to say the things that Dustin has. He doesn't want to sit down with Cody and be like, I feel neglected. I feel like you don't love me. I feel like you don't appreciate me. Now, he doesn't want to do that. Mm. Cody is a busy man, and I will take probably a spoiled man with, that was born with a silver spoon. I'll take that. But Cody Rhodes doesn't hate Dustin. Cody Rhodes probably needs to appreciate Dustin more. But how embarrassing, how difficult. What, to just come up to him now and try to correct those things? That's hard to do. These men just need to throw hands. 
If they want to tribute Dusty and they want to bring Dusty into the feud, you know how you do that? Bleed together. If you're bleeding in the ring as Dustin Rhodes and Cody Rhodes, Dusty's in that ring with you. Beat each other until the love that you have for each other is what's left over. And if they leave it there and that's double or nothing, then I will go from I didn't want this to be the guy to give them a fucking award for what they did. (laughs) Yeah, the more I think about this feud, and I hope I'm not psyching myself up for something that it's not going to be, but yeah, no, I love the idea now that I think about it. Um, Cody is kind of coming up and he's saying, maybe without saying, but he's saying, like, I am the Rhodes family now, Mm -hmm. you know. And Dustin, you know, even if he does love Cody, and I believe he does, in and out of the story, um, for Cody to say that, you know, that means, like, uh, that means I have to let go, kind of. Like, I kind of have to be done for you to Mm -hmm. say that. I have to recede into the background. I have to let go of my identity, you know, uh, an identity that I sort of hid for all these years. And I I didn't hit it because I was ashamed of it. But, you know, they've made a point of, like, I'm saying goodbye to Goldust. You know, they did kind of – did you watch the extra video where, where Dustin kind of says goodbye, like, to the Goldust character? I did not know that existed. Oh, man, yeah. So we got to check that out at some point. Um, but, uh, but yeah, um, he's coming. He's, he's coming back to being Dustin Rhodes. He's putting himself in this position. And it's almost like, yeah, okay, maybe this is your time. But you have to prove it. You can't just say it. You have to show me. You have to show everybody. You know, show that you you are the roads like of today. Um, yeah, I don't know. The more I think about that, the more I kind of like it. I, like you say, they don't hate each other, but they both have staked their name on something. Mm. And now there's something real at stake here. And it's not something where you can just kind of back down, because if you do, you have to let go of something mm. that's so important to you. I like that a lot. I love what you just said. and I, I want to raise it even even higher, even further. Um, everything that we do directly creates an indirect. So I was in an interview last week and I noticed something like anytime I would say something that they, that they liked, their heads were shaking. They were talking fast and they were doing that partly, I think, to encourage and accommodate the conversation. But then that made me realize what happens when I give answers and they don't do that. It doesn't mean they hate it, but they're not acting like they were in the other sequences. And so something that you just said just triggers something in me that not only is Cody Rose saying, I am now the legacy to Dusty, which kind of says Dustin, like you said, Dustin has to get out of the way. And also maybe Dustin didn't exactly do that. But it's also I in order to be the success that I have been, I needed to a leave WWE, b get rid of that ridiculous gimmick where I wore face paint, <laughs> which is Dustin's fucking identity and claim to fame you know so it hurts worse this is why they got to beat the shit out of each other because words aren't going to do it like if you insult me directly fine i know where you stand with me but when what is slapping me in the face is the indirectness of your directness you don't even mean to do it but it probably also means more honestly that's how you actually feel yeah so this is this is some hard shit. And what made me more convinced of this feud with NWA Crockett Cup this week, with whatever other surprises this week, is there anything that you would want to see more than a really well put together Cody rebuttal? 
Yeah, that's interesting. So, the feud is doing mm. something really well. Anything else on just because he he said a lot. Says Cody never once said thank you. I was there for the important things in his life, and he acted like I wasn't. He never said he loved me. He never said he was proud of me. He never said thank you. And there are so there are pictures that they show of them together. And one has three people in it, and it looks like Dustin is hug like got his arm around Cody in like a hanger own way, but Cody is turned towards the other person with his arm around her. And then one of Cody and Dustin, and it looks like Dustin has his arm around Cody again, but Cody's just got his arms by his side. So it looks like there is like visual evidence that supports these feelings that Dustin Rose is having. I love this. Yeah, go ahead. No, it's great framing. I didn't even pick up on that, but that's really cool. Some of the things that made me mad last week ago are now part of part of the reason I like this, and that's that's good storytelling. Because part <laughs> yeah, of me didn't really yeah. hear like oh, Cody Rhodes is potentially an awful person who doesn't appreciate that things. I don't know if I want to hear that right now when it's um he's the reason I'm watching this upstart company. But at the same time, like you said, context is king. Cody Rhodes can be a person that I love in his office. With, with the great Michael um, Marshall, with his vision. And he could also be kind of a shitty little brother. And maybe I don't want to see him like that, but maybe he is that. And maybe he's being called out for it. And that's part of the reason I want a good Cody Rose rebuttal. Like, I don't want to see Cody Rose claim that none of this is true. But I want to see Cody Rose complicate his story as being the brother who's 16 years younger. Yeah, definitely. Mm, man. I really want to see that. I also really want to see, because this is one thing that kind of uh, needled at me, and now thinking about it again, I think there's a way that it works, but uh, one of the reasons I was so interested in Cody's opponent is in that one video, Brandy was like, oh, I kind of hope Cody doesn't make it back, because he's going to have to wrestle, you know, blank. Um, and at first I was like, what does Brandy care if Cody wrestles Dustin, you know? Even if they have a strained relationship, Cody... Uh, Dustin's not trying to cripple Cody. He's not going to come in and try to like kill Cody or take right. his company away. But the emotional toll of a match like this, especially we, you know, we're really taking it for granted that Cody will win. And if he doesn't, I think we, there's really a problem. But if you think in the context of the story, what if he loses? What does this do to the confidence of a guy like Cody who's in such a critical position in his life? And then he gets beat by, you know, his, his old brother. Like, not older, just like old. He's an old <laughs> brother, you know. Uh, if he comes in, though, and he beats him, and you have a different Rhodes kind of standing on top of the heap, even for a moment, you know, what, what, what a mental toll, what an emotional toll that could take on a guy like Cody, who does clearly have a lot of pride, who relies very heavily on being very self-assured. I don't know. Uh, thinking of it in that context, I hope they bring that into it more because I was really just thinking of like physical threats to Cody, like maybe his knee will get injured worse. You know, maybe he'll get beaten up. Uh, maybe it'd be better if he sat this one out, but it's a different kind of threat, but no less important, mm -hmm. maybe even more important. That's a great point. I have, I have two things. So number one, this is also the complicated relationship that Cody and Brandy have going forward because she all, she has to be the person who goes home with him 
if he's in an, if he becomes an emotional mess. Like she has to tolerate all of that, and she's also the business partner that has to see AEW take a hit because you took a match and lost. That doesn't look good on the company. Right. So I see her frustrations, and I also agree with you that I was thrown off by that second um, Brandy stance. But going back to the first time that she responded, that's why I thought it was either Marty or Dustin in that her first response was just look disgusted. Like, you're having this match. It makes no sense. Why didn't you talk to me about this? And it <laughs> felt like, you know, there's someone you have no business wrestling. Mm. So, you know, there's, there's, and there's, there's so much that's complicated about that. And another weird thing that happened to me is I didn't know how much excited I was for Dustin and the feud, but then I thought about what would it be like a video where Dustin and Brandy are having a conversation about. Like I, I would be excited. <laughs> what would they say? You know, how would they both talk about Cody? Or even like Dusty and Ken, Dustin and Kenny Omega like hanging out in the back. Like what the hell do they say to each other? And no, nobody may never want to see this. I don't fucking know why I want to see this, but I kind of want to see one day a Dustin Cody, uh, Nick and Matt in that. I would like just to see somehow this pushing the brother relationships. Like what do Nick and Matt? who pretend to have this perfect relationship that is currently got an undercurrent that's not perfect, think about the way that uh, Cody and Dustin relate to each other. I like it. Relational stuff is very cool to me. I love that in wrestling. Cody and Dustin also, they were a spectacular tag team um, a few years back. So I don't know any reason they can't be again. As far as I know, Dustin's still uh, doing very well in the ring, just like kind of incredibly well. Um, for his uh, position, yeah. for his wear and tear, for his age. Um, one last thing I do just want to say about Dustin is, even apart from all this Cody stuff, um, he's had so... The, the career of Dustin, yeah, we have Dustin Rose at WCW, you know, in those early years. We love those. But then he went out, he, he became Goldust, and he sort of never stopped. Like, even when he was not Goldust, he was still mm. Goldust because he was coming into WCW again and being... Seven, and then yeah. all the baloney with Vince Russo. He was going to TNA and being like Black Rain, and he was in a very bad place in his life. Um, this is the first time, really, in 25 years, I'd say, that Dustin Rhodes gets to come and be Dustin Rhodes on his own terms. And that's really incredible, because as great and as legendary as the whole Gold Dust run is, and it absolutely is, and anyone who tells you it's not is nuts, but... There's a legacy to Dustin Rhodes as himself that I think everyone needs to be reminded of, and I'm really glad he's going to get a chance to do that. That's such a strong point. I also like that because Dustin, yeah, Dustin Rhodes' gold dust stands on its own. But whether it's gimmick, whether it's real life, sometimes it's hard to tell. But part of gold dust, I think, was a middle finger to. I'm not going to be the next Dusty Rose. I'm not good enough for you. Well, I don't have to do it like you. Mm. And he didn't. But you know what? I think he's proud of that. And because life is complicated, I think it hurts him a little bit that he doesn't have that legacy that he initially wanted. Right. I think he wants to have both of them. And guess who is off having the legacy that he never got to have? So, man, that shit just wraps around and around and around. Like good storytelling does. Mm. Very cool. Okay. We will see. We will see where it goes forward. But props to them for telling it. You know, this is, it doesn't have to be who I wanted it. Like a surprise could be the person that I want and I could end up regretting it. 
and a surprise could be someone that I don't necessarily want, and I could enjoy, end up enjoying it, and I hope the latter is taking place right now. It's the power of good storytelling. I have been excited about Flip Gordon two times in his career, mm-hmm. and I kind of hate Flip Gordon. I think he's stupid and not <laughs> an entertaining wrestler, and he's not a guy I really want to see, and yet, on two separate occasions, good storytelling made me excited about Flip Gordon. Storytelling is more powerful than your expectations if it's done well. So please, please tell, keep telling good stories, and I will be a very happy person. Yes. Let us move away from good storytelling and move to being the elite. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely segue. I'm very happy. Yeah. Hey, I don't know where to put this, but I do want to just okay. throw out there one bit of news that I should have covered earlier. Uh, I don't know if you saw, but Dean Malenko apparently mm. quitting WWE, uh, kind of suddenly, I guess. I still haven't heard exactly why he did so. Um, but, yeah, another guy leaving uh, WWE, another potential guy coming to AEW. Uh, that's cool. Dean Malenko was never my favorite wrestler, but I think if you want a guy like to put together matches to work backstage, it's clear he's got the credentials and he can offer a whole lot of stuff there. Yeah, and if you want to be a company that is both sports-centric and tells old-school storytelling, if that's what you want, you could potentially have Dean, uh, Dean Malenko and Arn Anderson working towards that goal. You know. That's very cool, I think. In uh, more obnoxious news, uh, do we talk about Luke Harper trying to get out of WWE at all? No, I don't uh, think we have. Okay, well, yeah, Luke Harper put out a statement a while ago. He was requesting his release from WWE. Luke Harper, a guy I am actually very excited about, would love to see uh, go out and do better things. A guy I think has been very, very underutilized in WWE. Uh, we found out this week that not only was his request denied, but they found a way to add more time to his contract because uh, he was injured for a while. So they wanted to slap some additional time on uh, what he has to spend in WWE. So, yeah, WWE, you don't want to look like the bad guy company? Maybe don't act like the fucking bad guy company. Okay, that's all I got to yeah. say. Everybody's going to do things that we don't want to see at times, but... The pattern that they build. I was going to say this because we're going to talk a little bit later about Walter. And one thing I wanted to say to you in text messages, WWE may not know how to use wrestlers, but they damn sure know how to sign them to contracts. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. You're disgusting uh, when you're doing things like too. Because to me, you could lose Luke Harper, the revival, and Sasha Banks, and it not hurt, not be a blip on your radar. Right. Yeah. Exactly. You know. So I kind of like that they're doing. I don't like they're treating the wrestlers like that. But I do have a hidden fear that part of the way the WWE started beating WCW was to say, take our folks that are really awesome, and then they were horrible in WCW or booked horribly by WCW or not good in WCW or were fucking Vince Russo booking in WCW. <laughs> so the thing I would fear even more than this is, is if WWE started intentionally sending people to AEW. <laughs> they send them, uh, they'll send them Hulk Hogan. Again, and he'll, yeah. he'll kill a third company on behalf of the WWE. So that's the narrative anyway. Um, yeah. Uh, all I can say is the only good thing I can think about this is hopefully if wrestlers are seeing that this is how WWE will treat their talent, maybe they will think twice before signing those contracts. We've already seen it really pervade the lucha world where a lot of high-profile luchador have really gone out of their way to avoid signing with WWE. You know, we have uh, guys like Bandito going to Ring of Honor. We have uh, Pentagon and uh, Phoenix dedicating themselves to uh, to AEW and to some other promotions. Uh, a lot of high-profile people that WWE would probably love to sign up 
um, have gone different ways just because they've seen, yeah, how, how luchadors are treated there, how a lot of other guys are treated there. So, yeah, it's always going to be the dream for a lot of people to go to WWE, but just know if you go there, you may find yourself unhappy and you may find yourself unable to get out of your contract and stuck there for artificially long periods of time as they come up with weird legal reasons that you can't leave. So, so yeah, um, that's the message that's going out, so, so please be wary. Yeah, and I do think it's easier to be the dream location when you're the only location of a certain status. Yeah. You know, I think fan, wrestlers can easily make new dreams if there are new platforms to dream on. Yeah. There are more platforms really than ever right now. One thing yeah. we didn't talk about, but Tony Khan said, yeah, if you want to see great wrestling, you can find it now. Like, it's 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 very accessible. Um, so you can go out and you can make more money. Uh, there was also a rumor, and uh, I can't swear to any of this, of course, but that uh, Joey Ryan took a meeting with WWE just out of curiosity to see if they would make him some like enormous offer. And he found out for what they were giving him, you know, he'd be taking a pay cut and he'd have to move his family. And, you know, he's really just doing very well on his own. So, you know, if Joey Ryan can do it, a lot of people I would think can do it. That's not a slam on Joey Ryan. Um, Maybe it is a little, but uh, Mm -hmm. there's just a lot of opportunity out there. So I hope everyone it's just aware of that and is maybe not just blown away by the idea of working for WWE. Uh, if you are, if you are, you know, it's your dream. That's great. I can't tell anyone not to have their dream, but it just seems like there are some definite drawbacks right now. WWE is low-key taking a PR bloodbath right now. And <laughs> for sure. People don't want to talk about it, but it's embarrassing that they are having these focus groups because – it's not really what we've we been doing wrong the last six months. It's what have we been doing wrong the last 20 years when we were like, fuck you, there's no other choices. And so now they don't want to end up on Fox. I think the main thing is they're afraid to end up on Fox and not be doing well in the ratings. Yeah, sure. You know, but you are like, again, if you're a WWE fan, be a WWE fan. And I'll say a lot of stuff about AEW. You can bet I'm going to have critiques, but this is not about wrestling. This is about are you shitty to your wrestlers and are you shitty to the fans? And could it be no matter how powerful you are, if you're shitty to the people who perform for you and the people who watch you, that the first time that there might be other, you know, avenues or other buzz, it might come back to hurt you a little bit. Um, it bothers me in sports. Sometimes I think athletes are abusing this, but there's also good reasons. Uh, in the, uh, the NBA is a, a lot of players are starting not to play all season uh, they're calling it load management. Um, and if I was some of these guys in WWE, I might would just be like, okay, uh, load management, I need to rest. Or I, or I might wrestle certain matches where I might, I might take it easy. Like, what, what, if I'm Luke Harper, if I'm The Revival, if I'm Sasha Banks or whoever, what is my motivation to go out there and do anything to help this company? I don't know that I have it, and I don't know that they've earned it. And that is the thing. What is it like for 20 years to get away with anything you want to do and be heralded for it and become a billionaire for it? You know, that's got to suck the day at 20 years and one day when it starts to kind of catch up with you. Yeah. And so it, it's catching up, and it's it's funny to me. It's not funny. It's sad to me <laughs> that... If I got a wrestler I don't plan to use or I don't see that much value in, what does it hurt to let them go? <laughs> they can't make an impact anywhere else that you have no vision for them. Mm. Let them go. 
You know, let them go make the mistake. Yeah, maybe if you recognize that they'll have worth to others, maybe you could try to find that worth yourself. You know, hey. maybe you could just take that time, you know. Because I think a lot of these guys, honestly, you know, would be happy to stay in WWE if yep. there was, like, good work for them to be doing there. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to go off on another even longer WWE anti-grant than we have already. But uh, it is very frustrating sometimes. So it, it's worth being in the discussion. Yeah, and it's worth saying. Yeah. Don't be mad at the buzz AEW is getting if you're a WWE fan. Be mad at the reason they're getting it. And that reason is your company, not anyone else's. Mm, yeah. Okay, okay. So, um, Kenny, <laughs> Kenny Omega in Canada pacing his, uh, he doesn't call Cody Rhodes. He wants Cody Rhodes to come visit him. Um, this will be a segment that, um, I will have some things to say that are interesting to me and something that irritates me. But Cody and is interesting watching Cody and Kenny together. I will say the most controversial thing to anyone listening. <laughs> First of all, Kenny Omega cannot convey verbally meaning. Like, whatever he's trying to convey and how he sounds to me will never square up. <laughs> but I kind of like him for it. Like, if that could be the thing. Like, I have no idea why he was talking in the voice he was talking. Like, it, it, it made no sense. But his fighter festival stuff. And in this, in a weird way, I've enjoyed more than some of his wrestling and definitely his promo. So if he is just some unhinged maniac who doesn't know he's unhinged, like, I don't know who he, who he is. But if I were any of these guys, I would want to find a way to take the credit card from him and take power from him and say, you know, just be a wrestler. But I feel like he's the least, again, he's the least aware of it. And there's something charming about being able to exist in the world and be so unaware. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. He kind of comes off like an idiot, for sure, so... Um. And it, it's, this team is scary, because they make a pack, but Cody is also the most delusional. Like, he, he's far from, like, Kenny Omega, because he's very... He knows what he likes, and he knows what he doesn't, but he's a delusional soul. Mm. And, um, it looks like we're going to get a match. Um, who is this now that we're, we're being introduced to as the librarian? Uh, Peter Avalon, you mean? Or oh, Lee no, Bates? this is, um... Oh, Leva Bates, yeah. Yeah. So we may we might get a match between them, but the thing that pissed me off is why five days ago have that segment with uh, Cody Rhodes where he was endorsing a different library, and now it's like that didn't happen. It's being the elite, man. It's impossible to tell what segments are, like, important and which ones aren't. So it, it could just be a weird inside joke, or maybe it'll matter. It's really hard to say. Is Cody still mad at MJF? Is that a thing? I, I don't know. I'm expecting too much continuity, I think. I, I don't think... Have we seen them together since... Uh, not since his speech, right? I guess we haven't, yeah. But nothing nothing really seems different because we've seen MJF still talking about, like... Nothing seems different with him. He's not worried about it. He's not talking about it. I don't know. Maybe, yeah, maybe there'll be more. I hope there's more of that. But, yeah, it's kind of on the back burner, I guess. Yeah, and, and we also... We haven't talked about this, but... One of the main events, I think, for the Fighter Festival or whatever it is, mm -hmm. is um, Cody Rhodes versus Darby Allen. Yeah, I'm excited. And it may not overlap with it, but we just saw MJF and Darby Allen. We did, yeah. So I'm not sure if, we'll, if we will be able to host that or not, but that's a very interesting match. 
maybe later in the show we should talk about Darby Allen. That'd be interesting. <laughs> yeah, I wonder. Maybe we'll do that. Yeah. So we got that. We got these two have a pack. They're going to jump ahead of everyone else, and they're going to name the librarian. Then we kind of flash back. We got Christopher Daniels, Matt and Nick, and they are signing Peter Avalon. They want him to be the librarian. Um, they kind of take a shot at their own fans, which is interesting. I'm not even mad at that because some of those fans, but they said, we had to watch hundreds of thousands of submissions. Then Matt kind of glances at the camera and says, and they all sucked. So that's, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's what they've been doing this whole time. Um, so, yeah, I guess this whole gimmick is just weird to me. I don't know. Like, it's never really connected with me very well. But I like Bates and I like Avalon. So, honestly, I'm not mad about where we ended up. But I'm. it's, it's a weird way to get there. I don't know what to think of it. Yeah, I did like the comment. Um, the two lines, uh, Peter Avalon says, Cody mentioned a million dollars and almost stepping on that line. Matt says, not a chance in hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Daniel's getting very uh, up close and personal and saying, Cody is not the money guy. Yeah. <laughs> So then we move on. So if we, we find out that Sammy's mother is not a fan of Sammy. No, so. everyone hates Sammy Guevara. Gives her a shirt and she shits all over it when he <laughs> leaves. So, yeah, I, even... I got to say, I do like the fact that they're playing off the fact that Sammy Guevara, for reasons that are even hard to articulate, is just like the most unlikable guy. Like yes. you just see him and you want to punch his little Justin Bieber face. So yep. sure, why not play on that? Good for them for recognizing it. Matt is clearly becoming my favorite of the Bucks. Um, he seems like the mean one and the one who just is not a nice soul. Nick, Nick is watching and he's like, I'm starting to feel bad about Sammy. Uh, even his mother hates him. Then Matt walks in and says, you won't believe what just happened with Sammy. And Matt's like, yeah, yeah, I don't care about Sammy. (laughs) One step forward, one step back, Sammy. Yep, there you go. Uh, Finally, Matt admits to Jericho's secret uh, that he called him and he wants him to actually be a one-on-one wrestler or go single. Nick confesses the same thing as well. And Matt is concerned that because they're on a break, they're not on the road together, that they're not connected like they used to be. So, um I do think we are setting up to see maybe a Young Bucks loss at Double or Nothing, and they got to give us a lot of excuses. And then, God forbid, we're going to see this feud continue, <laughs> but we probably will. Yeah, there's a good chance that we will. Sorry about that. We then shoot to a video of a new signing. It's Private Party, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yes. So. Uh, yeah, I'm not really familiar with them, but they get a little montage video with some uh, dubstep playing. Um, I don't know if I saw anything in the video that made me like, oh, I really got to go check out these guys. But uh, I'm curious, as with any wrestler that I'm not really familiar with. So we'll see how they do. Yeah, I will be. I'll give them a chance. I want everyone. I want to like everyone. And we'll see. But in that video, I, I had different bodies, same Young Bucks, flips and kicks. Yep. And I want to see more than that. Young Bucks have created a horrible world for me to live in. <laughs> and I'll like them once in a while in these segments. And then I'll remember... Like, this is still pro wrestling. I don't like you at your actual job. So it's hard for me to put those two together. Um, we get a momentous shift in Joey Ryan's life. Um, he is working out in the ring, and this doll uh, in the corner says, Joey, look out behind you, and he super kicks the person behind him. So for the first time in the history of this angle that he's been in, Joey Ryan fights back. Mm. Most fun thing about this for me is that uh, it was filmed in Logan Square Auditorium, which is a wrestling venue in Chicago that I've been to many times, one that I like a lot, so I've got a lot of good memories right. there. Joey Ryan's not part of them, but uh, he was in this segment. 
Oh, good commentary. <laughs> Kenny Omega is on the phone uh, talking about the movie Top Gun. Not only does he want the jet, maybe for his appearance, but he also wants, he's negotiating a Tom Cruise appearance. And again, he is almost the freaking Kramer to this Seinfeld. Yeah. You know, he, he is out of touch with reality, but not in a way... Like, when you watch him, you think, this man believes that these are the most reasonable things in the world, and he will be on this phone call for a long time, and he will neglect phone calls from other members of the elite because he's still making the negotiation. Uh, then we move to SCU. They always host the after parties, and so we got that build up. But I also wrote down, find something that you can love like these three men love SCU. Yeah, they love it. You know, they love it so much that they're doing a, a was up tribute yeah. from like 20 years ago. So, <laughs> yeah, that's that's the uh, the joke here for sure. And then we got Mass Child listening to Hulk Hogan. Is that trying to make us fear that Hulk Hogan's the after party person or is that uh, just. I, I have no idea. It's a good question, actually. Um, okay. I can't imagine because, A, he's like all tied up with WWE again. They took him back in spite of him, you know all the shit that's going on around him and and b AEW, you know they're trying to be the company that for better or worse you know they're a little more like socially conscious they're not maybe gonna welcome in the guy who has all this uh baggage for uh some racist stuff he said so i don't know what the implication was there i guess anything could happen i think it's more probably a joke or a play on some in joke between i don't know a lot of being the elite is like in jokes that you might only half get or not get at all so yeah one thing they do is take shots at, you know, everyone. Like, they're aware of what people are saying. So, in the Kenny, Cody, they're like, um, you know, this is going to be, um, w, this can't be like WCW. It's going to be WCW 2.0, and you know how that turned out. So, yeah, they had to make a cheeky attack at TNA, so there you go. Well, I think, too, they're hitting on, because these are all the claims that are being made about AEW right now. Is right. that? Yeah, oh, oh yeah, no gonna, doubt, no doubt. And one of them is probably that they're going to oh, bring in Hulk Hogan. And so I don't know if it's that. I, just, I don't know. But hey, there was maybe a his kid just genuinely really likes Hulk Hogan. Yeah. So who knows? <laughs> so then we get um, uh, <laughs> Matt gets a call about um, some strange purchases on the AEW card. Uh, it doesn't take long to figure out that it is uh, Kenny Omega and millions and millions of dollars being spent. He tries to call Kenny Omega. Kenny Omega doesn't take the call because he's still negotiating for Tom Cruise. Uh, he tries to call Nick. Nick doesn't answer the phone. He's frustrated. He finally calls Hangman. Um, he says, I hope it was worth it. Hope that potato chip was worth it. Hangman's like, I have, I, I have someone like surveilling my life. Um, I've had to move houses. And Matt's, Matt doesn't care about your, your issues. So. <laughs> Matt is very uncaring. Yeah, you, you, you've got that right. You've nailed him, apparently. Um, and then at the end, he asks, I have one question for you. Are you full gear ready? And no, I am not full gear ready. This guy better get it together is all I can say, because you know who's going to be full gear ready? Who is full gear ready 12 months out of the year is Pac. Oh, yeah. And I feel bad for him. This, to me, is as small as this is, it's the best way to book Hank Rampage right now, because... I've always like what I got from him all in is that I could like this guy if I didn't hate this guy. <laughs> like to me, he seems so talented, but at the same time, he seems so I don't know if the word is anointed or favored 
or because all of the elite can come off as smug, and mm-hmm. the more they've earned it, the less it's uh, offensive it is to me. So he's almost like the most privileged of the group in a way, and right. now he's got none of that. Like I feel sorry for him. I have sympathy for him, mm-hmm. and. I don't know what it's like to not have your friend's support and then go fight Pac at uh, Double or Nothing, but I also don't want to know. <laughs> true, true. That's quite scary. Also, I guess he's still being, like, secretly surveilled because yeah. we see a secret camera out. I don't, I don't really know what the significance of that is, but, uh, but that's not uncommon on being the elite, so that's yeah. all right. So we'll see where that goes. Um, Matt's still frustrated, and he tells his son, I'm going to call our old British friend. He makes a call. It's not picked up, but we see a cell phone, which has been kind of an indicator of things to come in this series. And we see that Matt is listed as dead friend one. Yeah, that that I liked a lot. Um, I had to say, I'm jumping a little ahead to the next one, but uh, Marty Skrull has uh, regrown on me a little bit as I've watched some of this stuff. Uh, I was kind of reminded of some of the things that I like more about him. Um, so, yeah, now the idea of him coming back in. It's getting a little more interesting to me, and I like this tease. I think that's a well-put-together little tease here. Oh, that is good to hear. I have, because I, I, I will always, like, I will always leave room that I may one day say, Marty's not for me, but I see why he would be pushed. Because <laughs> I can see the annoyance at times, but right now, Marty's girl might be the only reason we're doing this show. Wow, Really? In that, one of the biggest reasons I started to do this show was because of how much I love Pentagon. Mm. And I forget Pentagon's part of this company. You know, right. so it's not it's not like explicit, like we're only doing this because of Marty's girl, but like the only, outside of Cody maybe, the only thing that's given me constant forward motion of feeling good and included in this is some of the work of Marty's girl. Very nice, very nice. Um... We shall see. Yeah, I think uh, it'll be interesting when we're watching him wrestle on a regular basis. Yeah. Uh, I'll be interested to see what the reaction is then. But yeah, as far as having kind of some more focused character stuff, he's actually been um, better maybe than I really would have expected him to be. So I, I give him a lot of credit for that. Uh, I am getting back into him a little bit, so we will we will see where we go with him from there. Yeah, and it's also on AEW. I did not want to see him come in being mad at the Elite, and three weeks later they joked their way back into, oh, well, you know, I don't want to see this man. If he comes into AEW, I want to see the line so deep that it seems like they'll never be crossing them again. Yeah, yeah, that that's definitely what I'm interested in as well at this point. And, and it, it lines up, in, we talked about direct and indirect, it lines up in some weirdly indirect ways when watching the latest and final 10 pounds of gold. Uh, the Crockett Cup, Go Home, Nick Aldis, Marty's Girl, and Nick Aldis, he kicks off the video with a response to my co-host, Ms. Fan. He tells Ms. Fan, if you're asking me for a mission statement going forward from this moment, it's pretty simple. I'm at the top of the mountain. But now my responsibility is to make that mountain bigger. Got a you got a big job ahead of you, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he says something in this is like, oh, people are gonna stop doubting where we can go as the NWA, and I'm like, okay, make me stop, please. <laughs> you know, by all means, go ahead. 
Um, I gotta say though, uh, I like two things about this. One, I like the Marty Skrull is actually on it for once, like yeah. properly and not just like in clips of Ring of Honor. That's a big bonus that they finally got him to sit down and do some comments. And two, uh, I'm, I'm getting more excited about the Crockett Cup. Not even necessarily for this match, although I am more interested after this video than I was before. Uh, but really just for the whole thing. I don't know. I'm, I'm, it's easy for me to get excited about wrestling in general. And uh, I don't know. There's just enough has been put into this card that I really am actually feeling excited about it. Excellent. My hope for tonight is that everyone's night gets ruined when Enzo and Cass come out and cost the Briscoes. Mm. Were they booked to be there? I don't know. Did they just come out of the crowd? What, what are these guys doing? Uh, maybe they could do some shoots, and then, then we'll really yeah. be happy. Yeah, that'll be great. I'm uh, crying over here, so, okay. I do have um, to say, it is interesting how... Um, Enzo and Cass are not just condemned, like, by people who would be sensitive to, you know, kind of, like, the possible yes. sexual assault stuff, but also by, like, every wrestler I've seen also has yes. just been, like, get these clowns out of our business, please. <laughs> like, they're yeah. embarrassing to us. They, yeah, I don't know. So, they certainly draw a reaction, but I don't think it's one that I want to be a part of. So I just don't know what is the, in the day that we live in with wrestlers and fans, who is the chicken and who is the egg at times? So. <laughs> I guess, but I want to tell you something. I don't know if you are aware of this, but uh, after Enzo got fired from WWE, um, he actually went to Survivor Series in the crowd and wore, like, kind of a weird disguise <laughs> and then tried to, like, jump up in the show and, like, do a bunch of stuff before security threw him out. So, that's, I, I don't I, know. I'll... That kind of person is just, like, I don't know. It's like you're trying to create a shoot on your own time and no one even asked you to. And you're just trying to, I don't know, it's really unappealing to me, that kind of behavior. And that's fair. And I think if I was a normal person, that's how I would also feel. <laughs> it amuses me. And it also, it's endearing in a way to me that he is doing this and taking so much heat. And every the fact that everyone hates it and wants nothing but him to go away and he still keeps turning up. There's something that is a little bit endearing. And also I think that, whether he deserves a shot, whether he doesn't, I think he actually had talent, whereas um, Cass, I have never thought, had talent. And to me, he could go away, and I would never care. But I do think that Enzo actually had something um, of charisma and some kind of it factor. And maybe he has squandered it so much that he deserves this, and maybe he hasn't. But I do feel a little bit differently just myself for Enzo than I do for Cass, who I watched. Cass just did a shoot on the Briscoes, and I was cringing the whole fucking time. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not surprised. I don't see much value there. But, yeah, I mean, I do take your point with Enzo because, yeah, there was definitely time like, oh, this guy's kind of he's kind of compelling on the mic. You know, he can turn a phrase. He can uh, get the crowd to kind of go along with him, sort of a road dog kind of, you know, yeah. feeling to him. And there's something you can do with that. But, I don't know, at this point, honestly, I think there's just too many annoyances, too many drawbacks. I, I don't know. I don't really want to see him, but I guess – We'll find out. We'll see what happens. And also, I don't know how much now I actually want to see him and how much I just want to see everybody pissed off again. So, <laughs> You're, That's one place where we differ because yes. you, you kind of like people to be uh, antagonized, and I'm not that way, so we're a little bit different in that way. <laughs> I don't really won't ever really wish that on individuals, but I do wish that a lot on mass groups <laughs> you, of people. You want to rile up the mob sometimes. I know yeah, I might be a bit Joker terrorist. Um, 
but you know, like the Joker, I'm sure I feel like I have my reasons, and then that that, that is probably even more scary than I think I do. But <laughs> alas, fair enough. But I do want to. I appreciate that pushback, so I want to give a little bit of it, and I think that we ought to put some respect both on the name of the NWA and even on the NWA champion. These are YouTube videos, my friend. They reach 100,000 views at times. They're running pay-per-view, and this is the same promotion that was linked to ECW building its its legend and legacy on that belt being thrown down and everything built on top of it as a symbol of age and shame. And, you know, they're running these shows, and they might not be the success that other promotions are, but they're not not doing anything. True. I'll, I'll agree with the first half of your statement. Nah. I'll give a little more respect to NWA. Uh, I don't know if I can really do it with Aldis yet, but uh, who knows? Maybe he'll win me over when we watch the Crockett Cup. I don't know how, because I, I can never like him. <laughs> oh, what a strong argument in favor of him. So. Yeah. I mean, personally, I can, but I could never, um, let me, can I pull somebody out really quick? I, sure. Who's on? Will anyone come to mind? Who's successful in the world? I can never like Roman Reigns. But has Roman Reigns sure. had success in wrestling? Yes, he has. Yeah. You know, like, I can never like, oh, I'm kind of tall and good-looking and really smart, and I might not have, like, you know, certain other things. Like, whatever assets he has, I'm saying he does have assets. They might not be the ones that I value. Yeah. And it almost takes a type like him, I think. Someone who is so emotionless in a way. To be the one who can bear the critique that he's going to get and the NWA is likely going to get. <laughs> he's so bland and featureless that it all just <laughs> slides off of him. Okay. All right. Cool. Hey, put some respect on that man's name. <laughs> and and <laughs> I, I cannot yet. If he earns it, I'll give it to him. Okay. D- Diesel as WWF champion is another one. Never did a thing for me. <laughs> Where's, okay, where's Aldis's uh, Bret Hart then? Uh, you know, because it's not Skrull, because he's about to leave. We know this. Um, did, did he not have a compelling story with Cody? Oh, yeah, okay, all right. Fair enough. You got me there. And Marty's I mean, not Cody had a compelling story, and Aldis was nearby when it happened, so. But that's, I can say the same thing about Diesel and Bret. True, very true. Brett all right, a, you got me there. Yeah, Bret was a fucking maker of men at that time. Oh, yes. Such great stuff. Yeah, and I love this because the longer we do this, we still have fucking WWF The Legacy Series in the chamber. Yes. Don't forget that. Someday we're coming back to it. Yeah, so he um, Nick says it's time for all of us to level up. Um, he says that he is pulling the wagon, and I like that something that I can't read. <laughs> I'll go on. Um, you ever think of typing these notes instead? I just want to throw that out there. Ah, uh, maybe, but... All my notes are typed, like, okay, oh. all right. So how are you doing that? Are you watching on a TV or the, computer, or the computer? Yeah, I got my computer hooked up to my TV, so play the video on the TV, type on my computer. It's a beautiful thing. Do you hit pause at all, or do you, like... Not usually. I'm typing some quick hit thoughts. I can usually remember pretty well, so maybe that's in my favor. Do you have your computer, like, on your lap? Yeah, on the table, but yeah, like, right in front of me. But you're watching on the TV or the? Are you watching on the laptop? No, on the TV. Okay, so here's my problem, and I will be moving in three months, so maybe it'll be different. The way my room is set up, my laptop's on a desk, but the desk is kind of where you can't be seeing the TV. So I've got it hooked up to the TV. I gotcha. But 
if it's it a laptop, so you can move it, right? Yeah, it is, but it's also connected to cords that are not very long. All right, I got you. All right. All right, cool. That's the logistics of Mystic's apartment, if you're curious out there. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Uh, <laughs> we're hitting new highs. Yeah, all right. Uh, cool. Um, uh, what, I think what was first... interesting about this, and I don't yeah, know if ahead. I would take it one way or the other, Nick Aldis, uh, still still talking about, like, oh, I'm the big brother. I'm, like, I'm the father of Marty Skrull, you know, when the day comes. And uh, he comes off so delusional to me when he's talking about that because Marty Skrull is a star on such a larger magnitude right now. Um, but maybe he's supposed to be now? Like, I can't quite tell what's narrative and what's kind of supposed to, like, I don't know which parts are supposed to question. Um, and maybe that's in his favor and maybe it's not. I'm not really sure. We'll get to that line because I actually thought that line was a banger. I thought Nick had a great line. and It, it was can... a good line, but I wasn't quite sure how to take it. It's like, does the NWA want me to actually believe this, or am I supposed to think all this is like a delusional idiot? So I, I really can't tell. Because in NWA world, maybe it's true, but NWA world is like a tiny world compared to the worlds that Marty Skrull has been in. I don't know if that's the way to view it, though. Part of the way, like, for instance... I was a high school dropout who is now doing a PhD, and I see myself more as the person doing the PhD. I've almost forgotten at times I'm the, I was a high school dropout. Right. But I think if I went to my hometown and met the people I went to high school with, mm. they would be the high school graduates, and I would still be the high school dropout. Okay. So the way I read that in a way is in this context and in this relationship, because He's going to get into this, and I thought it was very compelling that Nick was kind of the obvious guy that was going to be a star. He's big, he's smart, and he had to do a favor to get Marty on the show, and they still weren't interested in Marty. And it helped me to see the pictures, too, because Marty looks like a 13-year-old boy with a clean-shaven <laughs> face. You know, and Nick looks like a guy that might be a wrestler. Right, right. And so, okay, these are just my pitches, and they can be wrong, but partly that – and then partly, again, everything I see about Marty Skrull is that this is an insecure man who is moody because of the fact that he can never get to the level that he wants, combined with the fact that some of the stuff you don't like, I think he's overly gimmicky as a replacement because before he was overly gimmicky, he wasn't enough for people. Mm-hmm. And so what he says is, um, not only I don't like to do the same as everyone else, which automatically makes him different from Nick, because I do think Nick wants to be the same. He wants to be Ric Flair, Harley Race. He doesn't want to be different. He just wants to carry a legacy. Mm-hmm. But then he says, um, this, is a, this is a hard line. It tells you something about a man. He says, wrestling is one of those things, I'm guessing like anything in life, in the sense that you're never happy. <laughs> That's a dark... Uh, I take his point because what he's saying is as a wrestler and maybe in life, you always want to do more. You want to be more. But it also, if it says anything, it doesn't speak for wrestling. It speaks for Marty Skrull is not a happy man. Mm. Like, that's what's a fact in that statement. True. Um, and then he says, how can I stand out from the crowd? Because he was rejected. He was not wanted. He was in the same show as Nick. He was only on the show because Nick did a favor for him and nobody was interested. And he says... The villain was created because he thought to himself, how can I stand out from the crowd? How can I be unique? And then he says this thing that makes sense, and we have critiqued this. 
He says, I don't know why Nick would expect anything less or anything different than what I did to challenge him. Um, maybe the thing that we don't like as much about him, he says, I always want that high, that reaction. And I think sometimes he might be a little silly to get it. But that's also part of that unhappiness because you are a fucking legend right now. Like in kind of the elite in what you do for Ring of Honor and what you, you know, you are a go to guy and you seem to be the only one who either doesn't know it or feels like it's going to go away again or cannot just sit back and be content in it. And that's worrisome. But it seems like it's very real in his character. I definitely take your point with that. And I think with Marty, part of it is just it's a very fine line between being scary Doink the Clown and Mm -hmm. just goofy Doink the Clown, you know, and maybe it's the Pentagon kind of thing again. Because it's one thing, yeah, if you're like kind of unhinged and you're, you're desperate for attention and you'll do anything, whether it's like a weird dance or like break somebody's hand and like it could be either one. Or are you just, like, clowning around with the fans? Are you just running around the ring, like, flapping your arms like a buffoon? And, yeah. you know, you've got all these bells and whistles and maybe not anything else underneath it. So I honestly think Marty can be either one. And the line can be really hard to distinguish at times. So he's an interesting guy. This is why I'm interested when we get more into the matches. Because I like the context that you're bringing to Marty. But I think it doesn't always come across when he's actually wrestling. It's kind of hit or miss. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, he's an interesting guy. We'll, we'll see where we go with him. Yeah, and I don't know. We never know. And this is what I like about wrestling. Mm-hmm. I want it to be real without you telling me this is, oh, this is real, you know. <laughs> right. I don't know what his character and what his person So maybe he doesn't feel any of these things. Right. But if he does, if he did feel at one point, I'm never going to be that guy. And it's not fair because I'm just not born, you know, able to be. Even though I want it as much. I'm, I Hell, it. I want it more than this guy, it feels like. Um, thankfully, I'm older and I don't see this, but when I was younger, I would see sometimes a guy, and it could be both ways around, but what I would often see is a guy dating a woman who he feels like maybe t- is too attractive or better than him and would uh, dance and behave in ways that, like, I would respect you more if you didn't have the relationship that you define yourself from and you didn't act like that. (laughs) And part of what I don't like about Marty when I don't like him is, yeah, these are the things that made you successful, but sometimes they're a little bit embarrassing. And I wish you weren't desperate enough or convinced enough that that's what you have to do in order to be a hit. But maybe it is what you have to do because that's also, you know, these are days we are living in different days. And so I want to see the Marty and the, He's still trying trying to be convinced that he can be a serious man because I like a lot of stuff they were saying, but he still felt more like a WWF character trying to tell an NWA story at times. <laughs> yeah, I can see that for sure. The only time I saw a little pain in his face as far as the storytelling, which is nice, he said, I had to wait a lot longer. And he it wasn't his gimmick. He's more serious for my opportunity to come to me. Nick kind of had them pretty much early on. And... He's getting a little more serious. Then we see those pictures. Those pictures blew my mind. Those are good. (laughs) They were very effective, yeah? I liked them a lot. Yeah, the big question with Marty is, like, he's one of the most gimmicked mans in wrestling. uh, Gimmicked men in wrestling. He's got so many bells and whistles piled on top of him. And just, yeah, when you dig down underneath all that, is there a compelling reason why he has all these gimmicks 
Or are they just like goofy bells and whistles to kind of, you know, get that reaction he was talking about? And I don't know. I think it can be different on different days even. So I don't know. We'll see. I think it can absolutely be different on different days. And he might be the biggest, most problematic one on that level. But I think all of of, of the elite crew has it in them to be (laughs) something I like on one night and something that is almost, in my opinion, to the detriment of wrestling on another night. True, very true. So, uh, at least the way he lines up the story here, he says, nothing came of British boot camp for me, um, nothing whatsoever. Um, and that led to the concept of the villain to separate himself from the pack, or the pack. Right. Okay, go ahead. Um, yeah, no, I mean, that that is accurate framing from what I recall. Like, he was party Marty for mm-hmm. many years, and, you know, he was over to some extent. That's where I think the whoop-whoop comes from that he still whoop, does, so he's yeah. still got an old piece of gimmick. But, yeah, <laughs> becoming the villain is definitely what made him stand out to me when he did it a few years ago. Like, he did create this aesthetic. He created something that was really different for himself, and it is the reason that he broke out, you know, like he did that in the U.K. scene, kind of, like, revitalizing itself, Um but that wasn't a coincidence. You know, he was part of that. He was kind of one of the leaders of that. So I do give him credit for that, most definitely. Yeah. Um, then we go to the comment you referenced. Nick Aldis on radio, on podcast, talking about the potential of Marty winning the belt. He says, I'm a big Arnold Schwarzenegger guy in Pumping Iron. Arnold is posed the question about what happens if, what about Franco? Um, you couldn't pull this um, on him, one of your great friends, and they pose the hypothetical. What if they're competing head-to-head? And he said, on the day of the contest, I'm his father. He comes to me for advice. And that's how I feel about my relationship with Marty. When the time comes, I'm the senior, and he knows his place. Mm. And you are right. I take your point that outside of NWA, that is not reality. But it's also the point that this is Crockett Cup, and Marty is challenging for Nick's belt. Nick's not going, you know, to find Marty. So at least in the context of this match, you know, I think he has the uh, space to kind of make that claim. Fair enough. But I'm I'm thinking back to your comparison. Like, if you went back to your hometown, you would be like the high school dropout or whatever. Um, But even if you went back, like, it wouldn't be true. You know, I mean, it would be true, but also it would, like, not be an accurate picture of where your lives have gone. Because, like, if you come up to the high school graduate who, like, was the football star and now works at the gas station or something, you wouldn't be like, oh, this guy is still, like, better than me. Like, that couldn't be part of the narrative except for a delusional person. So I'm just trying to figure out, I guess, is all this delusional or is NWA delusional, like, in their framing of this match? And I'm not sure. And I think they're afraid to commit to Nick Aldis being, like, the delusional one because they're going to have to – they're probably going to still have Nick Aldis, you know, after this match, and they can't make him come out. And they shouldn't try to make him come out, like, small time, but they've also put themselves in a weird position where their champion is, like, a much lesser star than the challenger. Um, So I don't know. That's just kind of a weird cognitive dissonance thing for me. It's not going to ruin the match. I kind of get it. I can kind of double think myself into the build. But when I step back, it's just going to be a weird thing for me. And I don't think there's a way around that. Okay. So partly for me, value systems also matter. True. 
And that person could be working at a gas station, but I still never graduated from our high school. And then I left, like, leaving town for some of these people would be a minus on your record, not a plus. (laughs) But think of, like, in the context of all this, how small-minded does that make all this look? Like, oh, well, you may have gone off to New Japan in Ring of Honor, and you're going to get a big contract in AEW, but... I'm the NWA champion, and we have a YouTube show, you know? I don't. But know I think that's his mindset. <laughs> I guess it is, yeah, but, like, in any other... In a promotion that wasn't dependent on Nick Aldis, Nick Aldis would be, like, kind of the buffoon in this situation, but they can't I, really... You they, know that. They won't go in on that, because they can't, because they need Nick Aldis. <laughs> right, but you know that, and I know that, or you I believe guess, that. Yeah. It's but just here, okay. framing to think about it in that context. Let me tell you this, though. Yeah. In, that video is, you know, is going to be another hundred thousand because it's already at forty-five or fifty thousand. Sure. And I think all but one comment was, "Marty's okay, but I want to see Nick hold the belt. Nick is this, and Nick is that." It was all pro Nick. Hmm. Weird. So but there is a group of people who are thankful that they have NWA and they like the old school, and to them, Nick Aldis. I think for, and this is the point, and that's coming full circle about what I don't like, but what others, I think there might be something safe again about Nick in that mm-hmm. what he is going to do is never going to be super emotional. It's not going to be out of control. And when you've got fans who are like, I want old school, like, you know, wrestling was good until 1967 and then it all went to hell. <laughs> you know, Nick always comes in as a straight man who is never probably going to disappoint you. And he's got, he's got himself a little base. And again, I'm not saying that he's in his right mind. I'm not saying the claims are um, legitimate, but that's where he takes his ethos from. And if you come onto his territory, you know, he's going to flex that ethos. And I do agree with you. Um, If he loses the belt and for some reason NWA separates and then he goes to AEW to challenge Marty, he's going to find a world that, you know, these claims are are going to look pitiful if he could even make them. (laughs) But I, I think partly we're in the context of the world he lives in. Uh, yeah, I guess that's a fair point. Um, I just want to say, though, I've watched wrestling from before 1967, and it's way better than Nick Aldis. <laughs> so, nice. That's a good point. <laughs> that's all I got to say. You know, uh, if I, he, Surely he's more old school than Marty Skrull, I guess, but he's not really very old school. Not really at all. So yeah. I, I don't see it. My mind was blown by those comments, though, because I thought whether I like Marty or not, Marty is you know pretty over. But that that little fan base that end up that was not. Um, I guess they got their their niche. Uh, some some really strong supporters there, and more power to them. Because yeah, I want to see the NWA succeed. I'm excited about the Crockett Cup. Um, yeah, they're they're framing the match kind of as best they can, and I, yeah. I, I actually sympathize with them because it's tough when uh, you're big enough to kind of be making this comeback, but you're not big enough maybe to book someone yes. bigger than Nick Aldis consistently as your champion. Um, so you guys create the buzz by bringing in stars, but you can't keep the stars. So it's sort of a weird inverse of the original NWA where the champion was like the big champion and he would kind of <laughs> wrestle small time guys in little, ca- in little territories. Now, Nick Aldis, like he's the small time guy in the small time NWA and he's wrestling big stars from everywhere else. So that's fair. But that's part, again, this is where I feel like I'm always different because that makes me respect them more because. What do you want them to say? Would you want Billy um, Billy Corgan to be up there and be like, well, it's, it's a serious feud, you know, as far as their relationship, but it doesn't mean a lot because it's the NWA. <laughs> right, yeah, I know. That's why I sympathize with them. They have to frame it 
in a very particular way. Um, and honestly, they're not doing a bad job. Like I said, I am actually excited. It's just weird when I step back and think about it. They're yeah. in a weird, unenviable position, but they're also making good progress. So I think they're doing as well as they can with it. I will agree on as well as they can. And that's nuanced, but one thing I do like is Nick Aldis is talking about being father in the present to Marty. Mm-hmm. Marty is talking in past tense of Nick being more successful. Yeah, they they clearly have different views of their relationship. And yeah, I think Marty Scrolls is probably more accurate, but Aldis's is more like NWA. So yeah, they're just coming at each other from different worlds and they're gonna have to resolve that in the ring. If I was Nick Aldis too that would be, a, and I'm a strong logician. If I'm nothing else, I am a strong logician. I am a thinker. And my defense mechanism might be that I have to be better than this man. Because if it ever gets to the point, even beyond NWA, if it gets to the point that gimmick matters or character matters or appealing to the fans in a certain way matters, mm. I'm fucked. But if it comes down to who is here every night defending the belt and building legitimacy, True. that's not Marty's girl. You might not like it, but that's Nick Aldis. So he's trying to wage a war on a very singular uh, platform, but that's the only one where he looks like he looks, you know, on that one platform. I'm going to say something that you're going to like a lot. Um, and it's one thing that would have totally sold me on uh, Aldous's point of view. If only he had said, Marty Skrull, I pinned you in the locker room. Then, yes. Because uh, <laughs> it's almost like that, you know, that if, if you're not familiar, I think, Rick Steiner said that to Lex yes. Luger after his heel turn, after he had changed who he was. Rick Steiner didn't really understand that he had changed. And now the more I think about it, I don't think Nick Aldis really understands how Marty Skrull has changed. He's still looking at him mm. as like little party Marty. And, you know, oh, he added some like he added a hat and a yeah. mask, but he's still like the little punk that I used to, you know, kind of be the master of. Like I could just, you know, push him around. He's my little brother. And I wish... They kind of touched on that, but now I kind of wish they had more because thinking about it that way has helped me just now more than kind of anything else that they've talked about. Like, he just doesn't understand who Marty Skrull has become, I think. And it's actually been staring me in the face the whole feud long, so maybe it's just on me for not picking up on it. But he just doesn't get it. He doesn't understand that, like, a villain would do different things than, like, the party Marty Skrull that he used to know. So. All right, cool. Uh, that sold me more than anything. I'm ready for the match. That's nice, because Marty says in the video again, you know, it, no, it almost makes no sense to him that Nick didn't see it coming. <laughs> right, know? yeah. And an, another thing that you're making me think right there is that the same way that we can say, well, whatever Nick does, he's just not for me. I think there's a part of Nick that... I don't care what kind of I don't care how the world regards him. Mm-hmm. Look, he he has to wear feathers and a hat. Like I think that stuff could never be appealing or never could be legitimate in a way to him. And so the only thing you can do if if you are Marty is to get in the ring with him and pin him. And I don't think we'll see that. But man, in a world where Marty beats him, even if he beat Marty back, we would definitely have an all about all elite where we watch. Match matches one and two of Cody versus Nick and matches one and two of Marty versus Nick, and we would have ourselves a conversation about who won the day. Yeah, there's almost a narrative waiting to be had. Um, and again, maybe it really is part of the subtext. I just didn't think of it till now. But 
you almost get the idea that Aldous would rather be the smaller star mm. without the bells and whistles um, than be a bigger star and kind of like, quote unquote, stoop to the things Marty has done to to get more over. He's almost like dying on principle here. Um, he's like, I'm, I'm just going to be my boring old self, and that's yeah. better than being an interesting guy like you, Marty Skrull. So I don't know. Um, and it's weird, too, because it's a lesson that Nick Aldis has a chance to w- learn over and over with Cody, with, like, all these different opponents, and he just he doesn't want to learn it. He's like, I'm going to be this small star, and it's going to be who I am, and I'm going to talk to all the old people, and I'm going to learn how they were, and then I'm not going to be different. So, I don't know. <laughs> it's really strange. There's a reason we have an easy say, and when I say big fish in a small pond, like, that means, like, you understand what that means, and... Sure. You know, Nick Aldis, to me, in the reality, if you want to strip it down into as real as you want to get, he is not the legends that came before him. And he's not the guy who could come into NWA. Like, Cody fucking Rhodes, if he had stayed in NWA, I don't know if he would have built the fan base or not, but the people would have loved him. Yeah. The people respect Nick. The NWA fans, I think, respect Nick. Like, oh, he is, he's brought this back. He goes out there nightly. They would have loved Cody. So he is in this almost desperate situation where you don't really think you're as good as you say, maybe, because you've seen a lot of people that probably in high school, they were told, like, you are, you are the star in high school and Maybe you have an opportunity to go further, and you become the high school coach. And there's not that there's anything wrong with that, but maybe you didn't go to college to pursue it because somewhere in you, you knew whether it be college or the NFL, somewhere it's going to get too big for me, and I'm going to find out that I'm not what I'm claiming to be. But if I don't go further, I can forever say what I was and what I what I what I claim to be. Yeah. And I think Nick should be very afraid of any stage that's not the NWA. So, and again, Marty's a threat in that because as fucking obnoxious as we even find him at times, can you imagine being Nick Aldis and your 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 talents are whatever they are, your limitations are whatever they are. But if you lost the belt to a walking bird gimmick, you may <laughs> never get your platform back. Uh, yeah, I like that. All right, cool. I'm ready. Bring it on. Bring on the match. Okay. So the final thing I want to say, and then we'll, we will move on to one of my favorite convince me's of all freaking time. Um, there's something really cool about the fact that they're in this moment where we went our separate ways, and it's almost impossible that two friends or former friends will end up in the right place at the right time to main event a show right in the midst of the storyline where AEW becomes a thing and you and your friends are in the right place at the wrong time for you. So those are opposite in what's happening with the elite and what is happening uh, with uh, Nick. And he's not going to win the belt. I think most of I think if we put money down, we both would go that direction. Yeah. But, yeah. But man, in a world, in a world where he could win the belt, he would throw off, the baggage of an older brother and of elite friends all in the same night. I would love for him to walk into AEW 
not say a word. The Dustin match is over. Walk in the ring, put that belt in the face of Cody Rhodes and walk away. Yeah, yeah, that that would be interesting. It, you never know. It, it could go any kind of way, so we shall see. Like I said, I feel like I'm ready for the match now. Yeah, the world would come to an end if Marty Skrull made the case that he's a better NWA champion than the son of Dusty Rhodes. So <laughs> it likely won't happen. But we have previewed it um, as much as we can. Even Miz fan is at least giving lip service to excitement. So, <laughs> you know, end end on a high note. I love it. What what have we got for Convince Me today? Oh, my friend, I think you know very well what we have for Convince Me. We do have Darby Allen, and uh, I got to say, I was uh, very, very, um, I never know for sure how you're going to react to anything. You're a very hard man to predict, <laughs> but I really hoped that uh, this stuff would be in your wheelhouse. I thought it would be, and it sounds like I was very much right. So uh, we have two matches. Uh, a couple of promos. I threw in a bonus match. I don't know if you had time to watch or not. Um, but, uh, yeah, Darby Allen. Um, do you want to talk about the matches one by one? Or do you want to give some general impressions right off the bat? I will say I do. I have not watched the third match. I do want to watch it because that's PCO versus Darby Allen, and that just sounds ridiculously good to me. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. So I hope you get a chance to check it out. Maybe you can talk about it on next week's show. But, yeah. Um, so, yeah, if you want to dive right in, we have our first match uh, I put on here. A favorite of yours and mine, Pentagon Jr., taking on Darby Allen from uh, November 9th, 2018, uh, showing Northeast Wrestling. Um, my friend, let's go right into it. What did you think of oh, this one started off? And I already know because you texted me something very nice that I have saved on my phone. Excellent. Okay. And we also have Darby versus Walter. Mm-hmm. In, so I might weave in and out because... Darby versus Pentagon built my trust. Mm. And that's a big deal because every week I say, well, maybe I like this. Maybe I don't. Maybe I like it a little. Maybe I don't. Maybe I like it a little. Maybe I'm scared of it. But there's not a lot of wrestling that we're watching that I can sit back and relax and trust. Jake Roberts and I have a hard time in life right now. We want our psychology. We want our wrestling to be a competition. We want people to sell, get get this, because we are radical. We want people to sell the offense done against them. So that makes maybe us strange. But here is a world that exists in current lifetime where I watched two matches where I saw a man who, yes, can be high-flying, a man who, yes, can wrestle, but I saw a man who is intentional and attentive about what he does and what is done to him. Mm. Jay-Z has a line that says, rumble, young man, rumble. My Darby Allen line is scrap, young man, scrap. Mm. This guy is a scrapper, and I know his story. So what you got, Miz fan? is a character who has me loving him right now in the ring and out of the ring, and that simple combination is more than I thought I may ever be able to ask for. Uh, so. That's a beautiful thing. I, Like I said, I was very excited when they signed Darby Allen. I think I might have even texted you about it right away. Yes. Um, there, there's maybe nobody besides MJF that I think is more poised 
to mm. be a breakout star that is kind of built uh, not quite from the ground up because he already knows who he is, but a lot of people, I think, don't know who he is. So this is his first chance to, I think, really be exposed on this level. And I think yeah, he's so well positioned because, yes, everything he said, he is a scrapper, he's intentional, he knows um, ah, just everything about himself. Every moment uh, is so invested to a larger purpose. Like, nothing really just stands on its own. Everything is so well put together, and that comes through so much in both of these matches. I think especially in the Walter match, which honestly may be one of my favorite matches in recent memory, and uh, there's just so much that goes into both of these. Yeah. <sighs> I really love Darby Allen. He's, he's a great, very recent discovery for me. I want to talk about both of these matches. They both deserve a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um... Tried to explain to a friend who doesn't watch wrestling, Darby Allen and Pentagon. And I said they both reside somewhat in darkness. But Pentagon is almost more voodoo, devil is there. I am summoning passion and power and force from something beyond me. And it's a bigger personality thing. Darby, in a way, is scarier because he looks like a real human being on half his face. He's not wearing a mask. He's not wearing clothes that, you know, cover his body. He looks almost like a smaller man, but he's wounded. And there's something that people fear more than the darkness, I think, is to watch an isolated human being. And uh, Darby Allen's an isolated human being. Darby Allen is a man who God blessed his fucking wrestling and storytelling, will smile when he defeats Walter, and the announcers will reference it, and Darby Allen will reference it in a promo, but by the time this man references it, he will have found a way to say that it's no longer there, and that is part of what Darby Allen is. This man carries a wound that either may never go away, or that I argued in the promos, potentially he might be the man who doesn't want it to go away. It might be so familiar to him that he might self-sabotage his own moment. So right there, we haven't even talked about the matches and how much, how much psychology, how much character development is there. I love that framing. Um, when I look at Pentagon versus Darby Allen, I almost think of it as a torturer versus uh, the tortured. Ooh, yeah. yes. Because <laughs> Pentagon, yeah, he's a man who lives in pain, but mostly he's inflicting that pain. Um, Darby Allen, though, he's a man who life itself seems to torture him. So when he comes up against someone like Pentagon or like Walter, people who can dish out pain on this incredible level, uh, he can take that pain and he can channel it and he can give it back. Because he lives in that pain. He seems to live in it all the time. Um, yeah. And I don't know if it's like Foley-esque maybe a little bit. Or I don't even know. It's just, it's Darby Allen-esque. You know, it's something that's almost kind of unique to him. And I just love it. There's just something about it that's even hard to articulate. But it's so on point. For better and worse, we are a generation that talks a lot about trauma and not a lot about resilience. Mm. And in a way, that's good because we have neglected people's traumas, I think, historically. Mm -hmm. But we also then, 
like compassionately create a space for where people never ever I think might feel the compel the compelling force of at least trying to temporarily in moments at times get out of that trauma. Mm. So it's hard to say in life how much is cultural, how much is temperamental, like all things. But you watch a human being go through a horrible thing, and for whatever reason, they end up using that as a positive that not only helps them but helps the world around them. And then you see someone go through something, and they never recover. And whatever it is, Darby Allen claims that he wears half of paint on his face because of, I think, an uncle or someone who drove drunk and got into a wreck and died and his lack of trust. And that's all very well and good. But it's also about, like, what? how old were you? You know, and you're still kind of in this conflict. And maybe you also recreate it when it's not there. It amazes me how fast he found a way to say that smile is fleeting and gone. Yeah. So I love, 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 love your point. Because Pentagon let Vampiro as master kind of whip him and abuse him. And you got the impression that Pentagon needed to do it because he wanted to become the Pentagon. But as soon as he became the Pentagon, he hated himself and Vampira for letting it happen because he is the breaker of bones and he wants to be the torturer and not the tortured, even if he went through that to get there. And Darby Allen, I don't say wants to be the tortured, but I'm also not going to say it. So, yes, these guys coming from two different walks. And it's so good. They they led each other. Oh, God. Every move is not a reversal. The thing happens where Pentagon gets offense for a while, and Darby gets offense for a while. And you get to see both of their offenses. I like my favorite wrestling thing about Darby Allen. Yeah, he'll do high fly moves. He'll do some good arm bars and arm drags. But then he sits on Walter's arm and just starts punching and headbutting the hand. That's so amazing. (laughs) Everything he does, it's like he's contending for his life. He's smaller, and he carries the psychology we've talked about. And he never just gets his moves in one full swoop. He lands on a back, and he doesn't quite take you down. He starts beating your chest. And there's... mm, that, that is mirrored in who he is as a human being and who he is as a wrestler and his size and his psychology. And, again, this is what I'm saying about these matches. I'm not knocking Kenny Omega or anyone, but I'm saying that when you can easily get a five-star match, no matter who you are, you probably don't need to struggle halfway through a move. Just show me the beauty of the move. Show me the beauty, as Omega said, of the dance. But what if you can't dance? What if you can't keep rhythm and time? Does that mean you can't have a five-star match? In my philosophy, it means you'll probably come a lot closer to having a five-star match because wrestling isn't a goddamn dance. If you are dancing, that is behind the curtain business. In front of the curtain business, in my worldview, you are having a competition for your life. And all I see from Darby Allen is a man trying to climb out from under his constraints. And half the time he can't do it. 
I love that. I'm, <laughs> I'm really one reason I'm glad we're doing this. Convince me is because uh, you have more of a way with words than I do. You can articulate things that I can't always tap into, and uh, I love hearing this analysis of Darby Allen. Um, it's like that wound we talked about mm. is a hole in his life, and it's trying to suck him down at every moment. I love what you said about yeah, like even when he got this incredible win that he fought so hard for, he even got a smile out of it. It just it seems so fleeting. It was sucked right down that hole, and it makes him fight for everything he's doing, like he's fighting for his life. Like, you know, any setback could almost be the end of him, it feels like, and that's true physically because he is a smaller guy, and it's true, I think, mentally also and emotionally, uh, at least for the character he's portraying. Like, he's almost on the edge all the time, and he has to fight with this urgency, with this frenzy, with this passion to keep himself from being sucked down into this hole. And it's just an incredible thing to watch. Like, uh, I've seen very few people who can convey that kind of feeling, that kind of emotion in their matches. And it's super, it's amazing. I love it. Yes. Um, I think that the Walter match, which we can get to, is bigger as far as a bigger performance. But what I liked about Pentagon and um, Darby Allen, I haven't watched early Ric Flair enough, but of the stuff we watched in the Legacy series, 1989. Mm. God, 1989. And you know what I liked about Flair and Funk and Flair and Steamboat? It never felt like the five-star performance in that we go out there and give each other everything. Mm, yeah. It always felt like something between us takes the match in one direction, and you get one point of view of our styles clashing in one context, and yet there could be five others that we could have directions we could have gone. Yeah. And I left this match thinking you could have a series of matches. These guys didn't give you half of what they could give you. It went in a certain direction, and I feel like that leaves you with so many other ways their match could go. Mm. And that, I like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, those matches feel like, yeah, it's so not performative. It's so not demonstrative. Uh, and it's just, it feels something totally different to me. Because, yeah, with Flair and Steamo, they're fighting for a way of life and for a championship and to be the best. And then with Flair and Funk, they're fighting to stay alive. Like, you know, Funk tried to basically murder Ric Flair and he might do it again. Cause he's like this mental person, but uh, there's no sense of like, let's go out and have the best match on the card. I hate, hate, hate that mm. mindset. Um, I know you're a huge Shawn Michaels fan, but I blame him a little bit for this. And I also don't blame him because I think it's a lot of people trying to follow his footsteps who don't have what he had, who don't have that, you know, ability to both do that and not do that. Um, it's just, I think, a line that he was very good at walking and others aren't. And now, yeah, it's just like, it's like one of the main goals explicitly in the wrestling storyline of like, let's go out and have the best match. Let's steal the show. Let's stop the show. And it's so not for me. Like, it is never, that is not really anything that I'm interested in ever. Uh, you get a guy like Darby Allen, and you'll never, you'll never really have a sense of that. Um, and that's one of the things I love about him. Like, what, what is important to him is so obvious, and he just, he doesn't even have to tell you. He shows you. He makes it, like, really physically clear all through his matches, and uh, that's something I appreciate tremendously. 
Yeah, I take your point too because part of that, part of like I as much as anyone can point you to four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times I think Shawn Michaels was a horrible human being. Mm. Um, and this sounds obnoxious because I'm not forgiving it, but I almost feel like part of the reason that he was horrible at times is that the difference between himself, Shawn Michaels, and some talent is that. I think he could go out on some nights and say, I'm going to pitch a fit and have a bad match and show everybody and still have the best match on the night. <laughs> like, you know, he was born with almost too much talent. Right. And I think it made at times a horrible monster out of him. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe, I think he deserves some of the blame, but I also think WWE made a, a gimmick out of stealing Shawn Michaels as the oh, show stopper. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know? yeah. So they, yeah, they also get a blame because leave it to WWE to make a. You know, to take something that's authentic and just happening and make a complete fucking gimmick out of it. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, it's the same, uh, I don't want to sidetrack us, but yeah, it's the same with the WrestleMania moment, you know. Yeah. Uh, the boyhood dream was something really unique and powerful to Shawn Michaels, and now, oh wait, it's literally everyone. That's all they want. They want that more than a championship or a win or anything. They got to have that mm-hmm. moment, that dream, and it's like, come on, you know. So yeah, a guy like Darby Allen is very refreshing, because... I don't want to know what Darby Allen dreams of. You know, he probably <laughs> just dreams of being happy for like one whole day, uh, you know, and he's going to maybe if he has to murder you to get there, he'll do it. You know, he won't like it, but he'll do it. I don't get the feeling Darby Allen, he may not even like anything that he does, but he's kind of yeah. driven to do it. And I really love that. <laughs> I hope to God they can keep some of the humility because there's something about it. Like that smile was such a genuine moment. Yeah. And I we're sickos as far as storytelling goes because nobody here is going to say I love storytelling. And a good story would be he's happy the rest of his life. <laughs> you know, I want him to lose that smile. And then I want to feel bad because he loses that smile. Mm-hmm. And that's all sick. But at the same time, it's what happens. Because at this moment, maybe it's who he is. Maybe he knows his character. But that's... Darby Allen knows who Darby Allen is and is such a thing to see such such a big reaction that's rare and over such a small thing. Yeah. You know, and there's something you put all that together and you got some good real life shit. And then the other thing, praise to the and also, okay, real quick, Shawn Michaels got the boyhood dream story that was so fucking good in a way because he was never gonna be the draw that he needed to be, so they had to put some extra, extra shit on it. Yep. So I love that story because I grew up with it. But we're also taking a story that was all, you know, we need to over gimmick it because this guy might not be able to do it without it. And we're making that our goal. That shouldn't be the goal. The goal should be able to, to, for the boyhood dream that, or the, you know, girlhood dream, whatever you had to come through in your, your embodiment of becoming a success, not a narrative about it. Mm-hmm. So we're also taking, something that wasn't really maybe a strength and then making that our goal. Whereas Bret Hart, Bret Hart, Bret Hart. How many times did Bret Hart not win a big match with the sharpshooter? Yeah. um, All the time. All the time. Yeah. All the time. (laughs) And that leaves you thinking, could Bret Hart beat that guy with the sharpshooter? Could they ever wrestle a match where it comes down to the sharpshooter 
And this is what I'm saying that is missing from the, the perfect matches because they always come down to these big, 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 big spots. And it, there may not be anything more beautiful in the wrestled match than a Bret Hart finish. And we're going to get a Bret Hart finish. Darby Smile will not be because he KO'd the Giant Walter. It will be that he did the Roddy Piper roll yeah. and barely got the win. And there's something even more fleeting about that being where the smile came from. Yeah, yeah. And it's Walter, bro. It's Walter. <laughs> is this your first time seeing Walter? First time. Walter is my favorite wrestler in the world right now, and uh, although I'm very happy for him, I was very sad when he went over to uh, WWE, uh, which is something that happens to me a lot, um, mm. so I won't go through that whole rigmarole again, but um, I do take solace in the fact that he apparently like dictated a lot of terms to WWE before going in, like he didn't want to move to America, he didn't want to not be able to wrestle uh, in his home promotion of WXW, which is one of my favorite promotions in the mm. world. Um, so they made a lot of caveats for him, and I think that means that they at least realize his worth. Because, yeah, I, I believe he may very well be the greatest wrestler in the world. He, he's, a, he's a kind of a modern-day Vader in that everything he does looks so devastatingly powerful, mm. and he brings this aura with him, and there's just something really, really special about him. Yeah, I thought, too, it's so hard to think in this era, but long, long, long time ago, when Brock Lesnar was young, sure. and you're like, I don't know what the fuck this thing is, but it's different, <laughs> um, you know, where you're probably very precise in what you do, and this is Vader as well, but you look so dangerous doing it. Yeah. Like, he looks like he's just out of control and would, like, kill everyone that he comes in contact with, and again... I'm going to put over Darby because Darby and Pentagon had a chop contest that I actually enjoyed when I don't halfway enjoy a lot of chop contests and forearm contests. But they they each would sell the other ones, you know. And then he tried to have the same exact spot with Walter, and he chopped him. And then Walter chopped Darby, and Darby just fell down, and it was over. Because <laughs> Walter is not Pentagon. And maybe that sounds simplistic, but I, I have a feeling that there's a lot of people that, you know, the thing you do is the thing you do, and you do it in all matches with all people. But it was clear from the beginning that Darby knew who he was wrestling. He jumps on the back, again, from the from the ring to the floor, just lands on the back, and he starts slapping at the back. So, again, with the scrapping. Um, in that regard, I, say, I feel like I'm watching pros, not amateurs, which I can't always say. Yeah, it's a big problem, I think, in modern wrestling that everybody kind of wrestles their style no matter who they wrestle against, and it, it doesn't matter, you know, who you're in there with. Um, it's got to matter. Yeah, and it's got to matter, and it matters tremendously when you're against somebody like Walter or even Darby Allen, because it's so him to, like, run headfirst into an oncoming train, you know, he's just going to take that chance because what if it works, you know? Yeah. And if it doesn't, he'll be in pain, but guess what? He was already he in pain. It. Yeah. You know, so he's only sacrificing so much on the chance that he's taking. Um, one reason I love this match is uh, this is actually the second ever Darby Allen match that I watched also, and I've watched quite a few now. But uh, 
this one still might be my favorite because I came into it thinking, well, I know Darby Allen's good because I saw him once before, but he can't beat Walter. Like, it's not possible. Like, you know, he'll, he'll have a good fight. He'll take a lot of punishment and, you know, he'll, he'll take the loss like a champ. And then as the match goes on, at first, you know, Walter is just wrecking Darby Allen like you, you knew that he would. But also, you're looking at Darby Allen, and you're like, wow, wow, this guy, he won't stop coming, you know? Walter's hit him so hard, you'd think his hand would, like, come out the other side. Mm. But Darby Allen, you know, he's, like, gasping in pain. But, man, he's crawling back to his feet. He won't stop. He's still trying stuff. But, you know, Walter's probably still going to win. And yet, by the end of this, you're not you're not thinking that anymore. You're like, wow, could Darby Allen win? And then you're not thinking anything, because you're just like, holy crap, you know? So... Like, the progression of this match, the story it tells, the way it changes your expectations as you go through it, is beautiful. There is maybe no moment I love more in wrestling from 2018 Mm. than Darby Allin pinning Walter's arm (laughs) to the mat and being too weak to even keep punching it, and he just has to headbutt it, and he'll do anything. He'll use any part of his body, any tactic. He won't give up. And that's not just a tagline for him. He's not telling you. He's showing you. He's saying, my arms don't work. My damn arms don't work. So I'm going to pin this guy and I'm going to headbutt the thing that he's killing me with because I can't stop. And it's amazing. That whole sequence is the felt sense that you should have if you watch that match. I, I this again. I I love to see a guy roll through the body and come out with the arm. Like to me, it's like, oh wow, that's impressive. But it's every time you roll through someone's body and come out with the arm, you're gonna be able to arm bar it. Not not always, and not the guy's Walter. And he rolls through the body and catches the arm. And instead of having an arm bar, he's just kind of sitting on the arm and can't fully do anything with it, and just starts raining down punches and headbutts on the hand. And I'm like, what the fuck am I watching? I am watching combat between two men. And if one of them wasn't Darby Allen, who doesn't care if he dies, then the match would probably already be over because Walter is the bigger, better man. Except he's not necessarily the better man because Darby is Darby. And it's only in the Darbiness of Darby that Darby might be better. It's not in any a bit, a bit of jumping or locks. Not that those are bad because they help him. But I don't care how good you are at arm bars or flips. It doesn't necessarily mean you can beat Walter. So it's the agility. It's the ability in the ring. But it is the intangibles that... What can Walter do best he can lay waste to you? What is Darby most comfortable with? He's most comfortable being laid waste to. <laughs> yes, and so I will say this. Don't talk to me about wins and losses mattering if you're not going to talk to me about the characters, personalities, and styles mattering when they clash against other personalities and styles. This stuff is gold. Watch this. Watch this if you haven't watched it. You just blew my mind because every time I've watched these convinced me's, I always just think the guy that we're watching has to win because I kind of think, oh, we're watching it because of that person, so they win the match. (laughs) And this was the only match without even thinking about it. I was sure that Walter wins the match. 
So that whole narrative was twisted without me even acknowledging it. Mm. And I was shocked. I was shocked when he won. And he won with that old school Bret Hart roll through. Oh, so great. And I'll, t- I'll go even a step further because I'm really just remembering this now in my felt sense. When I started the match, I thought, just kind of offhandedly, if Darby wins this, I'll actually be upset because he just doesn't look like the kind of guy who could beat Walter. And I know that I love Walter already. And he fucking convinced me in real time. By the end, I was like, Darby has to win. Like, this performance cannot go unrecognized. He has put everything into this. And and God bless him, he won. And it was really just an incredible journey to go through. Man. I think props to anyone whose personality is so legit that you either eventually have to say, I see myself in that person or I don't. Like, there's something so clear that you do or you don't. And some of my favorite people are optimists because I can't be one. And I, I with, withhold the claim that I'm simply a pessimist. But And I don't even like this about me, but it's me. If bad things are happening, I'm focusing on the bad. If good things happen, I focus on the good for five seconds and then I focus on the bad. But it's not that I want to think about the negative. It's almost some evolutionary survival that the minute what I start thinking about is, okay, this could still potentially go wrong and this could still potentially go wrong. And if I'm not manning this and paying attention, then is it going to happen without me paying attention to it? And part of me thinks that Darby smiled not because he really beat Walter. He succeeded over him. Mm. But I think there's a part of Darby that knows he's either going to kick the shit out of me now or he's going to beat me later. And I think Darby would only smile in a situation where he knows the smile is going to be taken away from him. Mm. And I could be wrong or right about any of that, but the fact that we're talking about it on that level, when I've seen Darby three times in my life, you know, what is that man doing? Like, how small of the details are is he catering to that we're having this conversation right now? Yeah. No, I love that idea because, yeah, when he's smiling, he's probably already thinking about, yeah, something's going to take this away from me. And he's not looking forward to it. Like, he's just resigned to it. Yeah. You know, he's like, this is, you know, how it is. Uh, there's a lot of depth there, man. I. I couldn't quite find it for this, but there's also some promo stuff before this match, and it's more from Walter, and he's talking about, like, oh, this Marilyn Manson guy with his face point, you know, he doesn't really belong in wrestling. Wrestling is, like, about competition and all this stuff, Mm. and it's just such great framing for the match. Um, And uh, I love it, man. It's really one of my favorite things. (laughs) Props to them, because that makes me think, too. I got the feeling that... He was not, Walter did not come in saying this is the biggest match of my career. No, and it wasn't. And that's the thing, yeah, because Walter, it almost goes back to like the, the all this Skrull thing, because Walter is a much bigger star than Darby Allen now and then. And yet, I don't know, they pulled this off in a way that was so convincing. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. Just uh, the framing and execution of this match is so beautiful. I'm not even mad at, like, the one, two, three kid razor. Like, that's a, that's a fun gimmick. And if I was booking, I wouldn't be above doing it. Right. But there's something super nice about the fact 
that I could tell Walter was disrespecting him, but at nowhere did I say, oh, wait, I'm, we're in the um, Razor 123Kids genre right now. Right, no, it didn't feel that way at all. The it didn't feel me. any kind of way because it felt so authentic. Yeah. Like, you're not even thinking about like the framing in the moment. It's really incredible. That is the bottom line right there. Because, yeah, um, Walter... This is, again, I hit on something by accident last week that we're going to hear so much that the world's going to get tired of it. <laughs> but I want a little bit of ugliness in your game. Uh, you know, Walter throwing people to me does not always look like, lovely. It almost looks like dangerous, dangerous or careless or reckless. And Darby, there's nothing beautiful. There is in the context we were talking about, but visually, there's nothing beautiful about not being able to finish a follow-through on an arm or a, a jump onto the back and having to slap your way. Like, that's not it's not be- a beautiful visual. Mm. But you have this feeling that Walter doesn't have to look good in every sequence because he's never had... Like, all he has to do is throw you around, and that's what has done it for him in his life. And that Darby is never going to look perfect in his sequences because they've never worked for him as easily. So they almost come to the ring with opposite issues in their offense. One it comes too easily for, and one it never comes easy enough for. And both of their games are rounded with jagged edges because of that. Right. Right. So, man, thank you for choosing these matches because somebody's stock is way up. This oh, week. my pleasure. Yeah. I think Darby uh, Allen should buy all, Right, be huge in AEW, and I hope they make a lot of use of this guy. And whether they do anything or not, how smart mm. to put MJF in Darby. Uh, yeah, they're going to have something fun. How fun, yeah, Cody versus Darby and stuff yeah. that's coming up, and that that's a good sign to me, you know, put put those guys in the ring together, I think you've got something fun, especially coming up in advance of that Dustin match, you know. Uh, Cody, he can't look past a guy like Darby Allen. Mm. Um Ugh, I'm excited. And I think when you're looking at hints, MJF clowns everybody in the back. Mm. But his biggest insult to Darby was as a future star to a potential future star. So when the MJF's insult is not very much of an insult, you know how aware the MJF is, is that there's now one other guy who actually could be the guy that comes up. Mm. So I think even MJF in all his brashness understood the difference between Darby and Sammy and uh, and then the 10 other Sammys who I can't remember who he's clowned. <laughs> so I've said it. Like, I think Darby could end up being the worst thing that ever happened to MJF. Absolutely could be. Um, if you get a chance to check out these promos as well, I sent you a I couple did. this time. Yeah. Uh, I really like these. I didn't have a chance to watch them much, but I watched a whole bunch of them. And I picked out some of the ones I like the most. Um, they're kind of black and white. They're a little bit artsy. Uh, it's very much content driven by Darby, kind of for his matches, his feuds. They're really fun. So t- tell me a little bit uh, what you thought of these. I liked them. They hit on what we're saying already. He says, in the first one, I've been told all my life, you've done good, but you've got to win or it's all over. Um, I'm not afraid of the road. So... This is, there's this whole thing. There's a literal situation where he might not be able to wrestle in this company. But there's also this context of no matter how good I do, it's not good enough. Mm. And there's a potential of loss. 
And also, I like that road, or I'm comfortable on that road. Yeah. My favorite bit of this video, I think it's from this one, is when he's talking about, oh, they tell me that I've done good. And it's juxtaposed with him taking this, like, monstrous bump out of the ring where he, like, hits the guardrail, like, hits his head on the floor. And Mm. just, like, this terrible, terrible moment for him. And he's like, yeah, they, they saw that, and they told me that I did I did good, you know? <laughs> so, like, yeah, I mean, it's funny, but it's also kind of sad. It's like, yeah, you're here to, like, experience this pain. This is what you should be doing. You kind of deserve it, you know, just for who no. you are and for how you wrestle. Like, this is, this is what you do. So I thought that was an amazing little moment of juxtaposition there. I did, too. It's, it's only funny to me because – it encapsulates everything about him. Yeah, absolutely. I just had a thought. If they did sign CM Punk, there should come a time where Darby Allen just starts harassing CM Punk as being a sellout and nothing like he used to be and just pushing this man and letting him know that he is in no way what he used to be and he'll never be that again. Darby Allen, if anything, is that person. Like Darby Allen. Yeah. yeah, my dearest uh, hope for Darby Allen, or one of them anyway, is that, yeah, he will be willing to call out a lot of people because uh, I couldn't find this promo, but I told you, I think last week, he's, he called out Pentagon. He he articulated something that mm-hmm. nobody else has been talking about, says, you're you're kind of just a catchphrase right now. Like, where is your where is your true zero fear, you know? So yeah. let Darby Allen go and call out people because I think he sees things more clearly than a lot of people do. Yeah, it's the good and bad of Darby Allen because he has this he has this vision nobody has. But I think the only thing that takes that away is too much success. So I think the one thing that might be his enemy is too much success. You know, I get the feeling that no matter what you want to say about CM Punk, he used to be disagreeable, and whether you agreed with it or not, in his mind it was partly for a reason and partly because his stances in life placed him like that. Yeah, but sure. You can't, yeah, you can't also be the guy who wants to wrestle main event WrestleMania, and you're mad because The Rock, like you're one step under The Rock. Like that complaint doesn't carry the same weight right. as you know, like a Darby Allen complaint. Mm. So Darby Allen, man, fuck, he's 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 he he has so much potential. Twenty five years of apathy, anger, anxiety, and depression led me to be a pro wrestler. Like there's your reason. <laughs> there's a reason we know him right there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the second one of these promos, yeah, I think it's called I'm a Superstar. And mm-hmm. uh, he's talking about wrestling um, one of these guest guys from WWE or from NXT or wherever that come in to Evolve. Um, since Evolve is kind of just like their subsidiary at this point. Um, and what I liked about this one is it's kind of like this like nightmarish little bird. Like he's like bleeding out of his mouth a little and like uh, standing on a broken mirror and talking about, you know, pushing this guy to like kind of be what he was, but also talking about like being a superstar. And it's almost, you get the sense of it's almost a little nightmarish to be a superstar in the sense of Darby Allen, like uh, being a superstar carries so much pain um, and not in like a, I don't know. You you could say like Darby Allen is some kind of emo or something, but like you're a wrestler I have no doubt that you're dealing with like this terrible pain all the time. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he's, he's a guy who, who makes his name off of like taking these beatings. So to do the thing you're good at, to be famous, to have success, you also get this incredible helping of pain. 
And I'm like, wow. Again, it's like cool juxtaposition because it's like I'm a superstar. But, you know, the unspoken subtext is like, is that really a good thing? Or am I like destroying myself? So. Yeah. And when he talks about being in pain, it sounds like he's talking about something he knows and is. Yeah. So there's almost no judgment on it in that. It's just who he is. When he talks about wanting to be a superstar or being a superstar, he looked uncomfortable and uneasy and like a far worse burden than the pain that he bears. Right. So. Conflict, conflict, conflict. Absolutely. Uh, the last one I sent over to you, let me see, I think it's called uh, Will the Pain Be Worth It? Mm. Um, and again, there's just some great imagery in this. He talks about, again, yeah, like the pain that he goes through. And um, I don't know, I just really liked all three of these. I thought they they were really well made, really well presented, and they, they really struck something with me. Yeah, and he says... Um, doesn't matter that Walter kicked me in the face. That was just physical pain. Yeah. So yeah. physical pain is clearly the lesser pain to Darby. Mm-hmm. And he says that a smile was fleeting. Um, I left these the matches and the promos. So three three thoughts, and I put some of them on uh, this, uh, LOP forums. But I said, what value should we place? on the struggle in pro wrestling. Mm. Um, I looked up the word struggle just for the hell of it. And it says, make forceful or violent efforts to get free of restraint or construction. Mm. And then I asked the question, perhaps we should be able to ask of any pro wrestler, what are they trying to get free from? I know that about Darby Allen. Even MJF, I think maybe deep down, I think he likes his privilege and he likes his power, but I think he's wrestling with the fact of what that might mean. Like he also wants to be something that only great effort would bring him. And I can find his struggle. There are a lot of people who, who struggle I can't find. And that's not necessarily their fault because WWE with his lack of well, fans don't care about history and continuity you can't have a different struggle each week and contradict the one you had the week before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's not struggle. So show me, if you want me to buy in, first show me that person's struggle. Sure, yeah. I think what's partly compelling about Darby Allen is part of his struggle is to not be Darby Allen anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, like if he could maybe just get the right win or reach the right place, then maybe he wouldn't have to be this guy who was just, uh, you know, pain was part of his existence. I don't know. There's, there's something cool about that. I think. There is. Yeah. Um, the word I look at the word scrap and it kind of falls in line. It says a small piece or amount of something, especially one that is left over after the greater part has been used, discarded metal for reprocessing. Mm. And so I looked it up for the, the the fight part, but for that it's like a larger part of Darby was lost a long time ago, and. Is what's happening there just a leftover, or is there some reprocessing that will happen? That is an open-ended story that we could see for decades to come. Yeah, there, there's there's just so much potential there. I love it. Yeah, so, ladies and gentlemen, convince me, Darby Allen. I am, I'm far, far on the side of convinced. <laughs> now we just need a Darby Allen versus uh, Aja Kong match, and then yes. we'll have the the best convince me so far matching up with each other. So I think she'll give him exactly what he wants, which is yep. pain. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> my friend. We're not gonna have time for 
MLW again. This is becoming a real problem. <laughs> but I, we could not skip Convince Me Junior, which is the first time that you have been out to convince me of somebody. Um, this uh, We're talking about Michael Marshall. Marshall. I'm sorry yeah. I say it wrong. My bad. Um, who uh, I did not realize is actually QT Marshall, um, who I had heard of but not seen. Um, he's the guy following Cody around, doing a lot of uh, kind of stuff for him, kind of calling out some awkward real moments, which is what <laughs> endeared him to uh, my friend the Mystic. Um, mm. I made the uh, mistake of suggesting that uh, <laughs> I, I didn't really know who Mike was, and I, I was never actually sure if I was seeing him or not in the video. So now now we have watched some Convince Me segments, and uh, I think I'm going to recognize him a lot more easily. So thank you for that. What do you want to say about this guy before uh, we talk about these segments? I think I went out on a, on a limb because I won't, that happened in real time on our show where you mm-hmm. made the kind of offhanded comment that I said, I think I said Mike was going up to the house that, seemed, that turned out to be Dustin Rose. And you're like, oh, I didn't know that could be him. It could be anybody else, <laughs> you know. And I kind of just, you know, challenge accepted. But I could have easily went and found next to nothing. You know, sure. or been embarrassed or apologetic at wanting it. But th- there's a thing, it's a thing about felt sense. The thing about felt sense. Mike, because the first couple of times that he was just kind of rude but not meaning to be, you know, it, it could have just easily set with me as like, okay, this guy doesn't know how to be social and it's a little bit uncomfortable. But between trusting Cody Rhodes his being attached to Cody Rhodes and the weird way he was selling it. Like he was just good at it and it became something I looked forward to without ever planning to look forward to it. <laughs> I, yeah, I said, I didn't know, but yeah, Michael Marshall, Marshall, like is, I, I just know him as Michael eats the apples. <laughs> you know, I just took a gamble that this guy's standing out to me when he shouldn't because there's something there. And from what we watched, it was more and better and sadder than what I could have imagined. <laughs> sadder. Okay. All right. Tell me. Okay. So first of all, we start with a sadder. We'll get to in the documentary. Okay. I gotcha. I, yeah. I didn't think the rest of this would make you sad. No. <laughs> so, okay, cool. The first part is brilliant. I think you could have, you could make millions of dollars if you're the right person in the right situation doing what he's doing, which is, saying that pro wrestling is more popular than it's ever been before, but there is an epidemic in independent pro wrestling. And um, everything that you like pretty much about pro wrestling is the epidemic. It's the flipping and the flying and the putting your body on the line. So he is actually introducing Watts rules. And as good as a gimmick, but he also, I think, legit hurt his neck and has had surgeries. Mm. So he's also putting forth, like, I'm not doing this anymore. Um, if you sign me, we will wrestle under Watts rules. Yeah. So, uh, it's a smart gimmick, yeah? I, I like it a lot. It puts me in mind a little bit of uh, uh, Mick Foley doing, like, the anti-hardcore stuff yeah. at one time. Um, it reminds me a lot of uh, what a guy named Drew Gulak, who's working with WWE now, uh, did during some of his uh, runs in various places. Um, it's a cool idea. I like the application a lot. And uh, what really sells me, and we see this in the match, is that he's very hypocritical about it, like when when the chips are down, because he ends <laughs> up winning this match, 
with with his own band tactics, with like a, a, a closed fist and a pile driver behind the referee's back. Um, that that really helped sell it for me. That of course. He likes to preach and be sanctimonious, but he doesn't yes. actually live up to the stuff that he's talking about. And there's some super smart. I don't know who these announcers are. And the match is against Chad Skywalker. Mm. Uh, but these announcers, to me, should get an award. They should be the AEW team, in my opinion. because <laughs> I have no idea who they are. But, yeah, I thought they did a very fine job. My second time watching it back, because I watched it earlier, but I didn't take notes. I had to watch it again this morning. And they, they sell this in a way that – Oh, this is a guy coming out with no music. So, the, and that's also 2019. Like one of his heel moves is not having music, which shouldn't. I don't know if it should be a heel move, but like you know, that, yeah. he's kind of got some Bob Backlund motion in his movement. He's got a towel, and they start off, you know, like oh, who the fuck does this guy think he is? Type thing, you know, putting on these rules. But they seem to get convinced as the match goes on. Like, oh, I like his wide base. I like the headlock. I like, you know, they really get into it in a way. That if they had just hated it and then he cheated, that's the usual job, and that fair enough. But to then start being convinced that okay, this is a guy that is trying to like one game, one of them says he had me in the back talking to me about all these legends and all this, so that when he finally does what he does at the end, like oh man, we believed in that and he swerved us, you know. So I think it's very interesting that they end up thinking him a sincere man. You know, he's, he's clearly doing a heel bit, but the <laughs> rustling makes them think he's a sincere man. Yeah, yeah, they they did uh, a very good job. I, I would have to agree. Um, they even uh, referenced the uh, old Luthez, like, cheating tactics specifically. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like, they're not, yeah, just like two guys who like indie wrestling who just went out here and maybe, you know, they'll kind of crap on this. No, they're actually, like, very into Kind yeah. of the history of what he's talking about. So, And it's like slowly. They start off with, oh, you don't see that move much anymore. And then the longer the match goes on, they start naming moves and legends. And it is like a different discourse community is coming over them. And they're like, oh, yeah, we also like that. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and he's really good in the, on the mic in, the, in that because he's going over the rules, uh, Mike Marshall. And then he says, the fans are booing, of course. He says, this is wrestling. What's wrong with you people? You want his career to last, talking about uh, Skywalker. And then he says, if you were Chad Matt Wrestler, you might actually get some respect. <laughs> I thought that was very nice. That was a good line. Yeah, <laughs> he clearly has some good material for the gimmick. Yeah. So I, I like it. I like it a lot. So we get the handshake. We get uh, some takeover Matt Wrestling. And I do like, this is better than almost anything that happened in WCW in 92 because when they got rid of the top rope then and all these rules – it's just like it barred everything, but you were already watching more creative wrestlers today. And so Skywalker is already, what can you do without the top rope? Mm. So, you know, he, he's, he's doing a lot of stuff off the second rope. He, you know, he's trying to make it work. And again, like I said, it kind of just laugh out loud moment to me because the pile driver, if he does have that neck injury and he emphasizes the pile driver above all things as being dangerous, the moment the referee is knocked out, there's not a thought of, okay, I'm desperate and I'll cheat. He is right on a straight punch to the face and then a pile driver. So he's just a horrible human being. <laughs> <laughs> yep, he, he is terrible, and uh, that's what makes it work because you need terrible people in wrestling. So good for him. Yeah. yeah, I like this. This convinced me maybe more than I thought it would, actually, because uh, I remember hearing about QT Marshall 
kind of more back in the era from the second match that we watched. Yeah. And he was like a little on the radar, but he had no buzz and no hype and he never really went anywhere. So I kind of shrugged him off. But this, this was actually quite fun. So I, I definitely give him credit. I didn't think he was wrestling anymore. I thought he retired to do like AEW stuff. Um, but, uh, clearly he can still do some stuff. So maybe, maybe he'll be uh, an in-ring character too, uh, sporadically. I think there could be some fun stuff there. Yeah. I was thinking if, um, if he's a baby face, kind of just associated with Cody mm-hmm. and someone ever wanted to heat, like if they ever put a hurting on like weird Mike with the apple. <laughs> um, and then if he wanted to fight back and wrestle, but man, he's all he does is eat apples and he's, he doesn't train. And so they got to like put his fucking protein in his protein. So you got to put the fucking protein shake in like apple juice just for him to consume it. And, uh, I admit I did not know the apples were such a big part of his character. So uh, that's on me. <laughs> I don't know why he's always got an apple, and they've made a couple of comments about it. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I guess I can. That rings a bell, so I take your point. Yeah, so yeah, I didn't enjoy the match with Kevin Owens as much. I think the gimmick didn't really fit him—the whole robe and God's gift and all of that. Yeah, uh, at the end, little mini Bobby Roode was not working out yeah. for him too well, uh, and mostly you could tell it was like a very low card gimmick because it was mostly Kevin Steen, the actual star, just kind of like clowning him. Yes. And yeah, even when he had the advantage, he didn't really have the advantage. I mainly put that match on just so we can mention Kevin Owens. So yeah, I know. I Kevin Steen. Yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of the guy. Uh, when he's on point, I think he does a tremendous number of things well. Um, so yeah, no, good on him. No knock on Pierre because he's great now. But the matches, like I, I think about when I was a like Sluger fan. He was in WWF and it would be like superstars and he'd be wrestling one of the Quebecers. Like <laughs> the match isn't going to be good. There's a clear baby face, a clear heel, a clear superstar, a clear not. Right. And they're going, yeah. they're going to do a certain set things. And that's kind of what you got is just like, oh, heel, make fun of heel. And then heel, heel gets a little bit of offense, then reverse it and beat heel. Yeah. <laughs> it's so weird to think about PCO being the same guy as Pierre. Cause yes. like, if he had been that guy back then, you know, and I don't know if it's just a creative thing or just like a, a personal like dedication thing. I don't know. God knows what could have happened. Um, so yeah, that's a really weird connection. <laughs> And maybe he could have, but there's something beautiful about, like, there's a whole thing, another cliche in life is, you know, when when you're young, kind of, you got youth, and when you're old, you got the sense to do something with it. Yeah, yeah. And he strikes me as a man that way too late in life figured out what life could be, and instead of just being um, deterred by that, he's going, whoa, whoa, what would it look like if I did it anyway? <laughs> yeah, it's true. Part of his appeal is that he's, like, 51 and still like it, doing these Terry Funkish like crazy moves and just yeah I don't know I love PCO so and just look, looking like he's having the time of his life doing it <laughs> I, I gotta say one of the things probably the number one thing that has sold me on watching the Crockett Cup is that PCO and Brody King are one of the teams in there and man yeah. I would love it if they went the whole way they won't but if they did I'd be so happy uh, they're born to be the Lex Luger who takes the trophy and beats the person up with it, but doesn't win it. <laughs> uh, my fear is they're doomed to be the people who lose in the first round, but uh, not. hopefully not. You're stupid if you do, because Agreed. unless you're going to dob out all ring of honor people just simply because, but like, why would you not have PCO out there as much as you can? Uh, because <laughs> it's part of the problem with ring of honor. Uh, you know, honestly, there's every chance that they would be happy to trade the Briscoes in and trade PCO and Brody King out and say, mm. oh, well, our team's going to be the Briscoes because they've been here a long time. Um, and, you know, I like the Briscoes all right, uh, but 
if you want to look at a team that's hot now as opposed to a team that was hot like 10 years ago, I mean, there's really no competition. But I just feel like there's a very good chance they can make that decision. And that's also the good and bad and bad of Ring of Honor is I like that thing, Paul's, all right. Yeah. (laughs) You know, so don't reinforce that all you're ever going to be is, like, lukewarm. For sure, for sure. Um, so yeah, that, that's the Steam match. I don't know if there's much else to say about that. Uh, the only other segment is, yeah, a, a sad, uh, little like mini documentary or like a trailer for a documentary. Uh, Michael Marshall kind of trying to take one last shot to be in the WWE. You see a lot of people saying, oh, he's definitely got the tools. He could definitely do it. And then like a long scene of his mother, like mm. haranguing him to giving up wrestling. And I'm like, dang, like, I didn't know what to take away. I was a little sad, though. And I'm glad he's where he is now, because if this was the end of his story, that would have been really sad. Yeah, the language just feels so real, because it's someone who cares about you and has tried to understand this world you're in, but now it's time to say enough of that. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe it's some kind of sign, she says, that you're not making it. (laughs) A sign to change direction, something better for your future. Um, and then the other person at the table, I don't know if it's a sister or a significant other, you know, says something, they say something excluding wrestling. And she's like, because yeah, it's not always wrestling that you've talked about. You know, you, you talk about being a restaurant owner. Have you thought about that? And the way that that would hurt in that you really get to know how people feel because this is a moment of failure where it's not going to work. And they probably have tried to encourage you, even though they knew better. And this is where you get to figure out, okay, so this is what you really thought all along, Mm. you know, and I cannot access this. I don't know how you watch this, but this has been apparently at, um, I think it's 2017 and it's been at film festivals. I think maybe won some awards. So, Oh, wow. Cool. If anyone ever can figure out like how you get to, you can view this thing, because I found their Facebook page, I found other things. I would love to watch this documentary one day. So if if anyone knows um, how I can watch it, I would greatly appreciate that. But yeah, the most exciting thing is um, that he's in AEW. If nothing bad happens, he's probably gonna make good money and have a life for him. Because there is a quote. What would happen if WWE told me they aren't going to hire me? I'd be a very unhappy person. Mm. And now I feel he's like the, he is happy now. Yeah, and he's yeah. at the forefront of something that could could blow up. So, you know, this is again, we can't like every wrestler. We can't have time for every wrestler. But maybe there's someone who can like each one. But you find out that when you really get down to it, and the storytelling is right how deeply that most of them care about it and how much they've sacrificed. Yeah. yeah. You know, and there's something that I think should not be forgotten that's within that context. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So man, what a show, what a show. Are we ever <laughs> going to get back to MLW? I don't know. I, I love MLW, but there's just so much to talk about. It's great. Yeah. There's some good stuff going on. If the NWA show is so, so we'll definitely get back to it. If it's a really good show, maybe we'll plan to have two hours of NWA and then the hour of MLW. But, again, I don't think we can predict anymore, or or it's going to turn out to be a gimmick where we never get to MLW. (laughs) Yeah, that would make me sad because I got got a lot of excitement for MLW. um, Yeah, enough to there. But it's eclipsed right now, so. Yes. All right, we are indeed almost out of time here. Um, So uh, thank you, everyone. 
for listening to the show. Uh, if you ever want to shout us out, I am at, on Twitter. I am at Spectral Gents. Give me a shout. Give me a follow about any stuff. We've had some great fan engagement already. I want to thank, uh, in particular, uh, people like Sir Sam, who, uh, you know, has given us uh, feedback in the thread. Um, people like um, Kath, Kath, I don't know, however you say, um, who left some really great feedback a few days ago. Um, really positive stuff. Benjamin Button, of course, following along when he's not writing uh, exceptional columns. Um, the Doc, I know, has praised us. Zan Man, you know, he's been out there listening. Just just a lot of people uh, being part of that conversation, and we really appreciate you guys out there. So so keep that engagement coming. Um, we, we really uh, take some good energy from that. Uh, hope to check out the other great programs on LOP Radio. Got a lot of great ones. Um, the Doc says his return. Sports Entertainment is dead. Perfect 10 Wrestling, Right Side of the Pond, uh, Kingdom of Honor, uh, the other show I co-host, uh, The Global Revolution. Lots of great stuff going on in there, so hope you will take the time to check that out as well. Also, lordsofpain.net and mlpforums.com for a lot of great written material. Again, come join the conversation. Come see what others are saying, what we're saying, what, what you have to say yourself. We would love to hear from you, so it's mlpforums.com. I think that's everything. So unless you have something more, let's uh, call it a day, my friend. Got Crockett Cup probably starting like right about now if it hasn't started already. If you're listening in real time, so think about going over to Fight TV and checking that out because yeah. there could be some very interesting stuff going on. Absolutely. Thank you for being here on the show where dialogue is an open invitation. And until next time, don't let the legacy be dictated to you. Rewatch. Revisit. Rewrite. I saw an undiscovered creature climbing on the mountainside. You know that no one else believed me. How about that? Green eyes and white stripes and salted tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features Keep telling myself nothing to fear It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature The undiscovered creature I never saw this one in books or heard a myth of it Looks like it came from underwater I thought I'd seen every life form But there it is Undiscovered creature coming up to meet ya. He's the one that's scared. It's just an undiscovered creature coming up to meet ya. He's the one that's scared. The undiscovered creature. Green eyes 
and white stripes and salted tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features Keep telling myself nothing to fear It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature